Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode four for June 23rd. Today, we are joined by Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Patrick Klepek. Hi. And Renata Price. Howdy. Rob, I have a a question. Yeah. (laughs) Did you, because like the the intro to this podcast, very famous, goes back to Austin kind of coining uh, a Mm -hmm. term that we went on. Did you feel a pressure or did you just release and go, I'm just going to say welcome to Remap Radio and just that can just I be will it. literally do anything enough. that gets me through an intro without having a conversation <laughs> about the intro. Like if it is just like episode number and date, that is what I will do so we can get into this show. <laughs> As always, we are a listener supported show. If you enjoy Remap Radio and wish to become a supporter, you can learn more at remapradio.com. Our website has links to our memberful page where you can sign up for a monthly or an annual plan that will give you access to exclusive remap content and help us uh, keep going as a team. Might as well get into today's topic, leading off with uh, a turning of the tide at Embracer Group. Just for a bit of context, the Embracer Group is a holding company backed in large part by the Saudi Public Investment Fund that was on a seemingly endless acquisition spree for the past few years. The high watermark may have been reached in 2021-2022 when Embracer picked up Gearbox Software and then Square Enix's, uh, a lot of Square Enix's European and Canadian studios, Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, Square Enix Montreal, and the IP to go with them, including Thief, Deus Ex, and Tomb Raider. But now the wind has shifted. Uh, Patrick, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with the seemingly unstoppable Embracer group? Lord of the Rings doesn't count. Doesn't doesn't rate for you. Doesn't doesn't make the list. Doesn't make the intro. Because that's like the, like the weirdest part about this company is they paid four hundred million dollars for the rights to the Lord of the Rings in addition to uh, acquiring all these studios. Not all yeah, the rights uh, though, right? Because somebody else correct. made that Golem game. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know how that. I don't know if that is like a pre-existing, and then that would then be. Mm. Like a Gollum two would happen. What like happened on the Gollum Embracer? Would then have to be under <laughs> Embracer because, like, the movie and TV rights are are, are chopped up really strangely. Just because, right. in the same way that like Marvel, right? Like Sony owns Spider Man, and like like things are get <laughs> chopped up. We're over, the like Craven movie. <laughs> oh man, they they well they they can't they cancel the Bad Bunny one. What what's going on? Uh, oh Morte, I think was the the one. Really? Uh, go watch that. Go watch that trailer for. Yeah, well, 
Sony, if a Sony announces a Spider-Man movie, yeah. does it really exist? Mm. Uh, so Embracer has been, yes, for a number of years, uh, ma- uh, making just endless acquisitions. Um, often things that don't rate all that highly financially are the sort of things that if you had access to the easy cash that em- Embracer uh, does due to the like fast access to cash that has just been the case over the last like three plus years, in addition to their CEO, like being uh, singularly uh, kind of rich themselves uh, as a result of a bunch of like retail success that happened in like the 90s and the 2000s. Uh, the question has always been, all right, so you bought, I don't, let's just say 150 studios. I have no idea. I don't have the number in front of me, but it's a lot. Uh, it's we, we at one point, I believe in a previous podcast, I just started reading everything they had bought and then got tired of reading it. It was like this bit has exhausted halfway through reading all the things that they have acquired and they've acquired things since. Maybe we did that during the Lord of the Rings one. That wouldn't that wouldn't shock me. Um, But there were two things that happened. One, Embracer. It is worth looking up the clip. Um, If you just search, I don't know how you'd find this like sad Embracer man. There was a essentially like a financial call in which Lars Wingfors was present like being interviewed by somebody i think at the company to sort of explain what's the position of the company where are we going what how do we explain the numbers some sort of two billion dollar deal fell apart for embracer it it remains unclear what that deal is i asked around at summer games fest i could not get an answer i could not get a wink (laughs) i didn't know nobody that i talked to seemed to have an indication of what deal fell apart it's easy to imagine in my mind that is a partnership with an existing partner like Amazon, in which they're licensing Tomb Raider to them for a television series and and uh, more games. Uh, it could have been something like Amazon, where like, hey, we're going to take a bunch of, license a bunch of rights, make those games. It could have been an Xbox thing, license a bunch of rights with Xbox, and like Xbox gets Deus Ex as an exclusive, because it's been reported in the past that, that they were exploring doing a new Deus Ex game disconnected mm-hmm. from the, the last couple of games that they've done. Uh, which is all to say that falls apart. And the company was already not in a great position with games like Saints Row pretty wildly underperforming. Uh, Sure, you buy a bunch of companies on the cheap, but those games are still expensive and they need to claw back that money somehow. And I don't know that stockpiling a physical copy of every video game in existence, which you can read about in a piece that I did last year where I wondered why is a company dedicating millions of dollars that is a video game publisher trying to create a vault that no one will access they had no answers on if you'd ever get to see these games. Uh, it's it's a company that gave off. It, it became a, a, a meme. It became funny to talk about. But it really did not become clear how exactly was this company going to make money. What happens when finances get tight in terms of acquiring money, which happened. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're dealing with shareholders going, yeah, but the companies you bought, they're putting out games that aren't very good. Or at least aren't selling up to expectations. And a combination of all those factors has led to what they are calling a restructuring to become a, quote, leaner, stronger, and more focused, self-sufficient company. Which mm. really sounds like <laughs> a bunch of companies got acquired in it by this publisher or this, however you want to uh, uh, categorize, embracer. In which they're going from one stressful situation where you don't know the future of your job to a company who is now putting you in another pressure cooker situation where you don't know what's going to happen with your job. 
And it's like, at the end of the day, did they just acquire studios to acquire the rights to things? And they're just slowly going to squeeze out the people that make those games. Because at the end of the day, what is most profitable is what is most risk averse. The most risk averse thing you can do is not make video games and own the rights for others to make video games. And so maybe you own Lord of the Rings, but you sure as hell don't make a Lord of the Rings game. You find an Amazon that wants to make a Lord of the Rings game and they take on all the risk. And I don't know if that's where the end game is with Embracer. But it feels like we're closer to moving in that direction than, gee, if you just make a, a publisher that's full of kind of like B level. And I don't mean that derogatory. I mean, like, like double A, like more fiscally conservative, thus don't have to sell as much games. Can you can that be successful? And their answer seems to be, let's like lay off a bunch of people. And I believe also said we should maximize the Lord of the Rings franchise. Buddy, people have been trying to do that for a long time. We got like three good movies out it, and otherwise, like Lord of the Rings is very difficult <laughs> to build around. Although I guess it has an MMO that people seem to like quite a bit, even if I don't know anyone that plays it. But the that's old like turbine the, one? Yeah, it's still going. People, I mean, yeah, I don't it people, is, it is, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It, like, it was like one of the improbable success stories for a long time. I wonder if it's still yeah. to the same degree. Uh, but still making expansions for it, I believe. So you know, I think sometimes can is a thing good or does it have a community? Those things don't have to be the Right. The and once and, and some of these ground floor properties still like they're just going to be around forever because that is yes, that is that is the communities that people found. I Yeah, I do think, Patrick, what is the uh, I always conflate them in my head. Uh, Coke Media and, and Deep Silver, because they have a similar energy, mm-hmm. I think, in mm-hmm. the publishers. But like in a lot <laughs> of ways, Embracer was. Like great, big Deep Silver energy and acquiring yeah, I mean, like a they- bunch of stuff in that vein. Like the games they have coming out here, like this is noted in this this Verge piece about it. Um, Remnant 2, Warhammer 40,000 Space Marine 2, Payday 3, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2, Turbocharged, Arizona Sunshine 2, it's a VR game. The first one was very popular. Alone in the Dark uh, and Homeworld 3. Um, at the time that this was written, all these games were scheduled for this year. Homeworld 3, I think, has been delayed until, until next year. Um, I think that might be the case. But either way, that is a, you know, those are all games that, it is not would not be surprising if they were successful, but I don't know that I look at any of those. Well, maybe Payday 3, right? Like the Payday... What is the scale of popularity and success of the Payday games? I don't... Payday I 2 popular. is huge. I don't know what that translates to. Like, because part of... I think part of what makes a company like Embracer and their strategy create real chaos is that once you have someone going around acquiring a bunch of studios, they tend to drive the price up on themselves, right? Like there are fewer acquisitions left to make. And so the early acquisitions are followed by like bigger and more expensive ones. And in the process, you have started paying over like, you know, you're paying quite a bit relative to what those companies could reasonably bring in in terms of revenue per year. And so suddenly you've got a lot of money out. I don't know how much they, they would have financed this with, with debt. My, my suspicion is a, a fair bit just because interest rates were so low. But the thing that happens is that suddenly they've got this like massive portfolio that the revenue it could reasonably bring in doesn't really offset the amount of capital that was expended to make all those acquisitions, which is why you end up with you know, these these studios were were healthy or healthy ish and like reasonably sustainable before the acquisition. But now that they're all under one corporate umbrella who spent all this money acquiring every loose game studio under the sun, suddenly it's like we have to make cuts at all of them. And so payday two, 
was very, very successful for for Overkill slash Starbreeze at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it is as successful relative to the cost of making modern games right now. They certainly they tried to like extract as much revenue from Payday 2 as they possibly could. And they kept that going for a long time. But I I am curious whether one, you know, you would expect Payday 3 to do as well as Payday 2 did. And two, even if it does, or even if it exceeds it a bit, is it enough to satisfy what seems like a company that is now looking for quicker outcomes? Ren, you had something. Sorry, I was just, uh, my, something you said, uh, uh, her to me is about payday two and like it's long-term success which i will say is that that game is still like one of the most played games on steam and still has like and is, is still releasing dlc right up until like very recently was still releasing dlc as one of the most paid games on uh, played games on steam and so i i do think that the, while while you know it is messy i don't know if it's bringing in like you can fund shit money however i i do know at least that payday two like remains su- surprisingly successful um it's one of those things that just like quietly plugged along for the last like decade Right. Uh, and so it's just, yeah, I mean, Embracer is, they were in a lot for a long time. The reason it was funny to talk about them was because like, oh, they just keep acquiring things, but now they have to ship things. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, it's, it can be noteworthy for them to acquire a Crystal Dynamics, a studio that was at a crossroads in terms of the projects they were creating coming off of uh, a series of Tomb Raider games and then a, like, a real mishandling of the Avengers, which is very hard to tell how much of that was Crystal's fault and how much was that project assignment miscalculation. Um, Both of those can probably be true. But to spin up anything from that studio, which like has a history of being pretty good, like a solid track record. Well, yeah, but like any game of like modest budget is going to take bare minimum three, four, five Years there and games on the on the on the tail end of that might not even be targeting like the current generation of machines that we're on and so that's like I think what Embracer was attempting to do was in addition to acquire things like Dark Horse and Tabletop was like hey can you set up revenue streams that are functioning in the short term to fund these medium and long term projects but what we're finding out very quickly is that when push comes to shove with Embracer they actually don't have the patience to figure out uh, how these big bets pay off and how much do they have to pay off like remnant 2 i think is going to be i played that game at summer games fest it seems great i think that game is going to be a lot of fun but what does that game need to do now in order to be deemed successful not just for embracer but for embracer to justify the jobs of other people across their entire portfolio like that puts a lot of pressure on these games and certainly it is now hard harder to imagine delays creeping in to these games because they this company has essentially put their hands up and said we're in deep shit and they haven't explained who's losing their jobs yet i believe there have been some immediate uh like implementation of this restructure but it's broadly not supposed to roll out until uh i think early october but it's like the way they mention it like the way it's phrased in their own finances is uh oh where was it um the closing of studios and termination of projects that have not yet been announced and with low projected returns. Okay. The fuck does that mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't like, <laughs> obviously it means people are going to lose their jobs, but it doesn't necessarily convey any sort of, the company has no philosophy. 
And that is what makes it so hard to parse and what makes me so like worried for the people that do work there or work at studios under Embracer is at least with other big companies, like, yes, they can be confusing and, and complicated to work under. But at least if you can look at sort of like a guiding philosophy of like what they want, that gives you a sense of where you fit in the picture. None of that exists with Embracer. They just bought a bunch of stuff because I think there is a real overlap. And this Lars Wingfors, the CEO, being an adult child purchasing physical copies of every video game ever made for his personal little piggy vault. And then also using those finances to purchase a bunch of studios, like he's buying action figures for a comic book movie. And then (laughs) getting like smacked on the hand when like the bank says, hey, you can't like like a parent saying you can't you can't have any more candy. And instead of figuring it out, the result of this is just going to be a bunch of people losing their jobs. And that sucks and does not feel like it is the fault of any of the people necessarily involved. I saw Saints. We all saw Saints Row's performance coming from a mile away. I knew what that game was kind of going to be like. And so putting that at the feet of uh, all of the consequences of things like this at the feet of like one underperforming game from a studio that has been struggling to pr- to produce like uh like games like they were during the Saints Row 3 era for like a long time, like Agents of Mayhem wasn't a very good game either. Like, and so I, don't, I just find the whole thing very frustrating because it just seems like Lars as a figure, uh, I find to be just like deeply disappointing as a person. <laughs> and then like watching it all play out this way is as uh, predictable as it is upsetting. I cannot find his tweet here, uh, but I thought it was a, a good point that Charlie Hall uh, over Polygon made caught up in this is Asmodee, which is basically like the embracer of the board game space. Like this is a company that very checkered reputation among people who work in board games, um, you know, kind of your, some of your like standard impersonal behemoth type stuff, but also a company with a rep for being kind of cheap and ungenerous with uh, its its creators. But they also bought up a huge number of board game brands over the past years, like the entire board game renaissance, like 10 years ago, a ton of the, the, the brands and the publishers that like drove that, uh, like particularly what were called the time, like Euro games ended up being acquired by Asmodee and Asmodee got bought by Embracer. And, you know, Charlie made the point is, you know, in keeping with Embracer's evident hunger to license the IPs it owns is it also going to look at Asmodee as just now a giant reservoir of like board game to computer game adaptations to just like license out and be done with it? Just become like a a bit like the way Games Workshop was running for like the Warhammer uh, license for a long time where, you know, for a while they were very stingy with it. And then they just like let all the horses loose from the barn. And now they found a slightly different like equilibrium with it. But, you know, there's ramifications here for board games uh, and, and and their overall health, because now a huge like a huge segment of the retail board game space, its well-being is tied up in Embracer's willingness to fund and continue to responsibly operate uh, this this massive company they acquired. And that doesn't bode well either. Not that things were great under Asmodee, but with, you know, this happening, it is yet more alarming. And so, yeah, it does become really hard to figure out, you know, 
this is like we we all received around our twice annual vice layoffs similar messaging to this right this is all restructuring to put us on a sustainable path <laughs> but you actually have to have a path to like what is the game plan here what are you building towards and that's never been clear with embracer and it's hard to imagine that any interesting path is uh advanced by scaling back at all these studios and and causing people to lose their jobs uh, the idea of Embracer being a really vibrant, dynamic publisher seems to be kind of going by the boards, and it does look likely that we are like more, we are increasingly likely to see them maybe stick with a few, like a lot of publishers have, I suppose, but stick with a few like hits that they can fund up to the AAA level, and then as you sort of alluded to, Patrick, the rest of it is IP rent seeking, forever. Yeah, they're, they, I don't know if it's poetic or distressing that on the day we're recording this and having this conversation, you you have our, our former employer, Vice, who spent, again, like he said, years just trying to sell for a bunch of money and not being able to do it. Is gonna The end game of Vice is going into bankruptcy and selling for $225 million to uh this this me this like media group out of out of like out of bankruptcy full of debt uh and embracer also like oh look they're spending all this money and like that's just going to turn into more money right feels it <laughs> feels harrowing well actually <laughs> speaking of like massive acquisitions like you know they talked about the two billion dollar deal falling through whatever it was but also was the real play here to roll up a bunch of ips and properties into a single like acquisition, like a very ripe acquisition target for someone else to come pick up. Like was the long-term mm-hmm. exit play here for Embracer to have so much under their roof that someone might come along and offer them like billions and billions of dollars to, to acquire. And that, that market may not be what it was given where the Activision uh, and uh, Microsoft like like attempted acquisition has ended up with the FTC, which is uh, entering a new phase this week. Patrick, uh, can you tell us like mm-hmm. what like what's happening right now? Like basically, as we record, in, in point of fact, I think you should just follow Rebecca Valentine from IGN on Twitter. There's a number of excellent uh, reporters who are in the courtroom now or following along on pirated live streams that you that you can if you want to see Matt Booty on the stage. Uh, at court uh, being asked uh, questions. Uh, basically, this is entered. The FTC is trying to, obviously they want to knock down the the, the acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft. I believe the like formal hearing on that is not until August. And this is part of an expedited price process on Microsoft's part to sort of force the FTC's hand earlier so they can wrap things up. I believe there are some deadlines coming up where there'd have to be like an extension on the acquisition related to, I don't know. There, there, Microsoft wants to wrap it up one way or the other, um, and and that is part of this process. And so there, there is not a. There will be so much more to say next Friday when some of this has uh, kind of gone through. But uh, they essentially people like Pete Hines, former like PR for uh, Bethesda, like longtime PR there for like twenty years, has been up on the stand talking about you know questions about exclusivity. Matt Booty is up there. Phil Spencer is eventually supposed to um, be up there. It is a fascinating uh airing of a dirty laundry like some of the mm-hmm. the FTC has submitted uh certain you know uh 
find they call them findings and facts. Like basically, basically, it's a bunch of emails <laughs> um, um, and things like that that are meant to bolster or detail their case. Um, you know, we have like continued the like, very funny. I mean, one of the funnier parts about this entire saga is Microsoft just weeping into their hands, saying they are just a poor third place console maker. Like <laughs> they're just no good at this. Oh they're just God. so very bad at this. Like oh, they're just little any- guys. Come on, yeah, they're small. They have um, little hands. That's how they make the consoles. They put their little hands in the machine and they move their little hands around their little guys. Come on. Right. And like, you know, like they're, they're, they're like, uh, you know, documents the FTC has submitted in which like Microsoft like self describes as having quote lost the console wars. Um, uh, and then detailing why they are, uh, if you, and then there was, oh man, there was the other true gamer speak, uh, that was going around. Let me find. This is from uh, Kellen Browning, who is a reporter over at uh, the New York Times doing tech and games sometimes. But uh, they were asked who was who was actually on the stand. Da, 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 da. Um, I don't know. It might just be Microsoft's lawyer. Uh, but anyway, so uh, uh, Browning says that uh, in this tweet, Microsoft argues that Xbox would not be incentivized to pull Call of Duty from PlayStation because, among other reasons, quote, they couldn't face the wrath from the gamers. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know who you know what wait really good who could which is just uh tremendous and then like you know related related to this the one of the other uh sort of uh noteworthy pieces um has been uh you know jim ryan who is the head of playstation uh around the time that this deal was first announced uh writing in an email uh Quote, I'm pretty sure we will, we will continue to see Call of Duty on PlayStation for many years to come. It's not an Xbox, Xbox exclusivity play at all. They're thinking bigger than that. And they have the cash to make moves like this. I spent a fair bit of time with both Phil and Bobby, Bobby Kotick, over the past day. I'm pretty sure we will continue to see Call of Duty on PlayStation for many years to come. Which is obviously <laughs> like wildly different than the, the public-facing arguments that Sony has been making about equally like, my my money my call of duty money like where is it going and of course like this is this is what it means to fight battles in the court of public opinion um and then what you say behind closed doors there are always going to be uh d- totally different arguments made and and seeing that you know on in public sony is saying this is going to destroy video games and then privately being like man it doesn't fucking matter like they're kill- they're still going to put call of duty on this well but in that same email he also says they're thinking bigger than that which mm-hmm. ends up pointing back toward the thing that the uk regulatory bo- body kind of keyed on which is that they sort of set aside call of duty and started to interpret it more in what does the future of the industry look like particularly with regard yes. to like uh cloud gaming and uh you know how that connects to Microsoft's uh, like, you know, server and streaming infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And so the the funny thing is that's a very like it's a gotcha quote because a lot of this has focused on uh, the publishing portfolio that would immediately like go under Microsoft and, and possibly like grant platform exclusivity. But in that same email, you have Sony being like, you, you know, being like we in the near term, this won't change that much. But this is a bigger play than that. And I think part of this is like certainly the regulatory body. Some of the regulatory bodies have been very curious and suspicious of what that bigger play might be. But it's a difficult thing to it's a difficult thing to anticipate because in some ways parts of that 
potential future are here right now. And right now they don't seem that revolutionary, but if you run the clock 10 forward, 10 years, we really don't know. And so it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing where, uh, it kind of comes down to how narrowly is this, is this going to be decided? Um, you know, I, I still, I really have no idea how this will, this will play out. I think, you know, it's, we always, I think from the start sort of had the gut feeling that it would be more painful than Microsoft anticipated, but in the end it would probably go through. I still feel there's a decent chance that that is how that unfolds. That's where I'm at. I feel like this is the painful part. Like this is, this Mm -hmm. is part, this is like, you have to go through this and that at the other side of it, they probably still get the company Uh, to to be, to be, I was, I was unclear exactly on like what, where does fits in the process? I just want to credit, um, uh, this uh, IGN, like one of the pieces I've been, I've been pulling from, uh, in which they uh, outlined that, like, th- so this specific moment in time is about the FTC trying to impose what's called a preliminary junction on Microsoft and Activision Blizzard. Essentially, it puts a pause on their ability to close it while, like, the uh, the investigation is is going on. So there, there's an attempt to slow down like wheels that already feel like they're in motion towards inevitability because. There is a world in which like the merger starts going through and is it possible for the FTC to untangle it after the fact? Yes. Is that so much harder? Yes. And so it is in their their interest to delay any sort of formalization of the merger, even if they still in their pocket have this world in which they could untangle it later. Like that just seems that's just so so much a higher bar for them to clear. Um, And so that that is what they're attempting to get in um the 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 court system right now and i don't think we have a good sense right now where 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 that is going or how that will will end up but uh it's interesting and i always you know it's always it's given how much corpo speak we get from all of these figures like at the very least whatever happens i have no investment in other than just being happy that there is more people talking about hexen today than there were two weeks ago (laughs) like that's good for me, regardless of whether Microsoft acquires and then the FTC should just make that part of it. Look, you can have this company. That's their condition. But Hexen. But, but, but you got it. You have to fund like a big budget Hexen game. Can't be like a remaster. This like id software is looking at Hexen and going, we're giving that the the doom, uh the doom treatment. This would, <laughs> this would be such a better version of like corruption, you know, like judiciary corruption. If judges would allow things, but only if you made cool shit. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be vastly you know preferable vastly to like <laughs> I gave away the Constitution for a nice fishing trip. Like vastly <laughs> preferable. Mm-hmm. Or or I made it illegal for innocent people to leave prison. Didn't I do a good job? <laughs> Christ. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I am very curious how it's it's going to un- unfold, uh, especially like part of it is also just this shift in FTC strategies to pick more fights. And mm-hmm. that has had a like they've won some of them. It's it sort of done the job of chilling some of the acquisitions fever, though. I would imagine the change in interest rates also like helped cool that market quite a bit as yeah, well. Yeah, on, bo- on, bo- on both ends. But, you know, they have them. They, they just sued active or not uh, Amazon over, uh, you know, uh, like essentially UI elements making it a challenge oh my or God. tricky. Did to you see cancel. the bit where internal Amazon communications call the process to cancel Prime the Iliad? <laughs> oh my God! That's really funny. <laughs> wow. Oh, uh, that's great. So yeah, they're suing essentially to hold Amazon accountable for making it 
uh, especially tricky um, to to cancel Prime. And, and like that is just the tip of the iceberg. Like Prime is probably easier to cancel than a number of other services are. But you want to go after the big fish to get everyone else to to to, to uh, get scared and and fall in line. It's actually one of the the better things that iOS does. I love the fact that you just go into settings, touch your profile, any subscription that you've done through the platform. You just like, have you tried to cancel the New York Times if you've canceled, if you've subscribed to the New York Times through their website? They will like kicking in. No, we're not going to cancel that. We'll give you half off, though. I don't want half off. I want all off. No more New York Times. Well, the FTC, this is another thing. I think I saw the FTC was like starting to look into it. It might have been the Consumer uh, Finance and Protection uh, Bureau. But the undue burden cancellation practices that are like increasingly common through the industry of being like, are these are these fair roadblocks to throw up in front of people, especially the minute you could like, I will just say this, like as someone who like it's better managed now, but with like pretty intense ADHD and like feeling almost physical revulsion from like running any kind of bureaucratic like gauntlet. It actually doesn't take much to throw up just enough friction between like someone in a cancellation to make them pay hundreds, if not thousands of dollars over the years because they could never quite get around to like fully killing it's off. It's so e- it's mm-hmm. so easy to get me with that shit. It's 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 child's play. I'm like a little baby you take candy from. Uh, you know what? Listen, I just want to say I respect the FTC for dropping spicy. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like they're eventually the FTC will wipe out Tomato Town. Maybe, maybe. But like this is how you get better at the game is that you do have to drop into the into the spicier situations legally. That's part, that, is, that has been part of the argument has been like we got to get better at litigating this stuff. We can't just be yeah. like it, like I knew the strategy was working when I think this was either an insider or Bloomberg. I can't remember where, but it was this article where it was titled like Lena Khan has given the FTC's given away the FTC's best weapon uncertainty it was so powerful when nobody knew if the ftc would actually intervene in anything because it just caused so much uncertainty that executives were so scared of what the ftc might do but now that the ftc like routinely brings action to stop mergers obviously that's just cost of doing business and nobody cares (laughs) and i'm like that's transparently bullshit like all you see is executives like wailing and gnashing teeth around like (laughs) these sort of interactions and they're trying to cast it as, you know, it was really powerful was when the FTC did fucking nothing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's so doing nothing reserves so much power and possibility. Uh, what a fool Lena Khan is for for wielding, wielding the weapons directly. I'm so excited to see the lawyers that emerge from the FTC gravity chamber from 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 their from their training assignments. Well, I'm not. A, I'm not actually. To be clear, the problem I'm not is actually, they will merge. And chances are, go into corporate onto the corporate side of litigation. Yeah. But yeah. it does work the opposite. The opposite way too, where like uh, Cantor over at uh, Justice is micro. Like used to be one of Microsoft's lawyers, might have been their general counsel, and like I guess got radicalized in that world because uh, now he's like his antitrust crusader. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we we're, we'll we'll see how all of this unfolds, but. Before we take a break here, I did want to turn to the Nintendo Direct so we can just sort of, you know, have some quick reactions, how how we felt about what we saw. Uh let's start with let's start with Ren. Take take it away. What what jumped out at you uh from Nintendo's uh little showcase? 
So Nintendo's little showcase was 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 cute. I, I I will say that as someone who like grew up watching like let's plays of the like Super Mario RPG and related things, it was really cool to like see that came that game like brought back uh in like a meaningful way and like in a way that i will actually be able to engage with without um having to do some like pretty at the time that i was first watching like heavy emulation work and so i'm 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 legitimately very excited about the super mario rpg but otherwise like i don't know this nintendo this nintendo event like was not much for me um there were there were a handful of things but like i did not get a new entry at odyssey as i had so foolishly hoped in the depths <laughs> of my heart like an they just idiot. did the collection though right that just happened? Yeah, but a new one, not not okay, a game okay. from two thousand and eight. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm just like that, that, that. The collection was like literally weeks ago, right? It was literally weeks ago, which is why I was hoping for something else because, like, it was mm. like a, we just released this HD collection, and now we're going to announce this like you know a new Etrian Odyssey game. That would be great for me, um, and I can get a little bit more on my thoughts on that collection in a little bit. Uh, short version being that like yeah they did just release a collection where every game individually costs forty dollars which is more than they cost initially when these three games were released on the the nintendo ds uh in 2007 2009 and 2010 (laughs) respectively um but yeah for the most part this was this was a pretty quiet one for me i never got around to the latest pokemon um which is the first one i haven't like gotten around to and like at this point a decade, maybe two. No, sorry, a decade and a half. Uh, this is the first like mainline Pokemon I've just like straight up skipped. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty chill one for me. Uh, the, with on my RPG, there's a couple things that are like interesting and worth noting. Like that game has never come to their what they call it, like Switch Online. Yeah, you know, like the the. Yeah. the uh, download service uh, in which you can access older games. There's been speculation that because the partnership between at the time, Squaresoft and Nintendo, that maybe there were actual licensing or logistical issues that were preventing it from being released. And that actually the way that you get around that is by just remaking the game. Mm-hmm. Whether that's true or not, it, it has been hard to was access it? that game. Hmm? Was, was it on the S- SNES Classic? Um, no, I don't believe so. Also, wait... Sorry, I, I I fucked up. I fucked up, everybody. I'm mm, wrong. Yeah, I did have a win at the most recent Nintendo Direct. Dragon Quest Monsters: The Dark Prince, baby. Dragon Quest Monsters is back. I'm very excited about this. Super, uh, it's, Super Mario it's, RPG was one of the 21 titles included on the SNES Classic Edition. Yeah, so that was um, one of the one way you could. So it's been a, it's been on those. Yeah, but like the most obvious place to want to play it uh, on the Switch has not. It's not happening. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe that is just related to the uh, to the decision to to remake it. But there's like a couple things are like the original composer is coming back, which is sick. And uh, the like the music is one of the most iconic parts of Super Mario mm-hmm. RPG Legend of the Seven Stars, which I hope they like. I don't like the fact that they're just calling it Super Mario RPG. Do not hide the legend from the subtitle. The seven stars. It's the legend <laughs> of the seven stars. God damn it. Two. Uh, the uh, people were looking at some of the updated art, which I think loses a little bit of the style in the transition to it. It's a little, I don't know how I would just, it, how would you describe the art style of Mario RPG Kato? Like, how would you describe how those characters are? It's weird. Drawn? They're, 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 they're kind of like 
they're kind of like the faked uh 3D sprites of like a Donkey Kong, right? Like it looks like Yeah. But top down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or isometric. It's an isometric situation, but like they tried to make them shaded the way a 3D model would be almost in, in mm-hmm, a lot of those mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like situations. So, you know, it's, it it's a weird. Lot like, uh, do, you, do you remember the original, uh, like when they were experimenting with 3D for the first time? I remember seeing these a lot um, when it was called the Ultra 64, but the SGI workstations. Do you remember like the original Final Fantasy? SGI tech demo. No. No? Oh, come on. These were um, Final Fantasy Ultra 64 tech demo. Uh, Yeah, like all of like this stuff. Like these are like early, early experiments in 3D. Anyway, just like it's it's just early experiments in uh, mm. uh, in trying to understand three D modeling when you're coming from a from a two D two D space. Right. But like one of the things that's interesting about this uh, remake is that there are uh, there are gags or Easter eggs or references to older Nintendo properties that you could not make out reasonably in the original <laughs> pixel art, but now are clear. Uh, like there is a, I don't know exact. I'd have to find where it is, but I believe it's a reference to something from the Famicom disc drive, which was a format that never came out uh, over here. It was exclusive to Japan. And there's a, a character associated with that that is in some Super Mario RPG art that people just didn't broadly know was even there. And is now there in the updated art, which shows an attention to detail for like an Easter egg from decades ago right. that just went right over the heads of the vast majority of even like a, you know, a knowing audience and that the folks that are uh, updating that art are like going or like are keeping that stuff in mind and like yeah. are, are maintaining it and updating it, which makes me excited to to play that game again. I, I adored Super Mario RPG when it came out, especially can't you maybe I don't it's, it's been so long. I actually don't know if I want to spoil that bit anymore. <laughs> there's, a, there's a secret boss that's super cool. But I don't want to say, do you know who I'm talking about, Kato? Do you remember the secret boss? No, I never played this game. This is one you of the ones I this missed. Game? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this is. I need Marv G I, is an all timer. I, I like, yes. It's it's like, oh, I'll finally get around to that, maybe. <laughs> now that there's a remake okay. happening. <laughs> all right. Ghost Trick, Super Mario RPG, please remap audience. Yeah, keep, keep us honest <laughs> yeah. and accountable. We're going to play these, these games. games that we say we need to play. <laughs> I mean the uh, ghost the ghost trick is coming up soon. Yeah, Gato, yeah. We're, we're like that's rubber's that gonna meet short. the right that on that one. That was short. We can do that. Awfully we can soon. do that. It's not a long game. <laughs> ghost trick. How long to beat? Um, twelve hours. That's a little more than I was thinking. It's Gato. it is a little longer than I. It's a little assumed. longer than I was. I, 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 right I could have th- sworn someone said eight hours to me once upon a time, but. <laughs> It's still not long mm. by game standards. <laughs> rest, rest in peace to my ghost trick place. <laughs> no. uh, other, uh, otherwise, uh, you know, they, they, there's a couple of, like you know smaller interesting announcements reporting uh, the 3DS exclusive Luigi's Mansion game, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is visually enhanced game. Luigi. Oh, love a visually enhanced Luigi. A visually um, enhanced Luigi that's running at 12 frames per second. What's your yeah. what's your favorite what's your favorite enhancement on that Luigi? Was, the, the was that Switch footage or was drop. that 3DS footage? I don't, I I don't I know, but they were showing it while talking I'm about the Switch myself. game. <laughs> it's 3DS. Uh, 
And then otherwise, the the other uh, uh, really notable thing um, was uh, the uh, new 2D Mario game, which had been rumored ahead of time, called Super Mario Brothers Wonder, um, in which I guess like the, the the easiest way to describe the art style is that they are uh, attempting to like the the I the new Super Mario Brothers 2D games for the Wii, uh, Wii U, and Switch uh, are I don't particularly like them, but they get more. Uh, hate than I think is deserved because they do not they're they're not as good as the older 2D Mario games. They have different aims um and they're not as interesting as the the arc of the 3D games have gone mm-hmm. um especially uh post post Mario Sunshine. Uh but also the the art is just it's not I hate using the term ugly because that seems so mean, but it's just so uninspired and boring. Like Nintendo is a company capable of producing re, like is known over and over for producing yeah recognizing art instead of technology and how they how they build their platforms and thus you get games that often have really wonderful interesting art because they cannot take advantage of the highest end of technology and that's just like the new super mario brothers games is just like nah like we're not gonna <laughs> where it's it's like not gonna it's where it's it's on old uh, technology and also looks extremely bland and uninspired and yeah. what they're doing with wonder is uh in addition to having these drug mushroom like flowers for for a lack of a better term yeah. that suddenly like warp the world in weird ways where like uh mario will suddenly become as tall as tall as the screen and then shrink down uh the pipes will like move mm. and psychedelic uh and, yeah, and, and upsetting <laughs> exactly exactly uh so you know they're, they're mechanically and sort of like in a, from a, a level design perspective they're they're trying to do some interesting things that are a little more inventive than what you will find in in the other uh, Super Mario Brothers uh, or new Super Mario Brothers uh, lines of games. And then aesthetically, I think they're going for, I wish they were swinging a little bit harder because I love the path that they're on, but I think it's best described as trying to uh, take some of like the art that you would see in the instruction manuals for older Mario games and imbuing that into a uh, two-dimensional Mario game, but that has 3D character models and so the expressiveness of the of the animations of running and jumping and stomping have a playfulness that was so evident in the the art that nintendo was producing for those games in the 90s that was imbuing the world of mario with a, with a level of character and detail that was not present in the games because they were games for i mean it started changing with the super nintendo but with the the nes specifically yes look at long mario we love long, we still stand along Long, long Mario is disturbing to me. I don't mm-hmm. like Long Mario. Coward. The go- I mean, the Goomba looks pretty upset yeah. in this scenario. Yeah. It does not also also does not like the uh, Long Long Mario. But I I really like the approach they're taking with the art here. Whether that will translate to yeah. really interesting levels, I don't know. But it is if they had just announced a new Super Mario Brothers two, I. I would be excited because it's a game I can play with my kids, but mm-hmm. I don't know that it'd be a game that I was excited to play by myself. And Super Mario Wonder at least is is wandering around in a space that has uh, a lot of interesting possibilities. And plus, There's, like people are getting people are getting excited to fuck Mar- uh, Elephant Mario, <laughs> which is I don't yeah, know what to do know. with that information. But oh, everyone's for horny for the Elephant Mario. Everyone's horny for the Elephant Mario. He's the- big. <laughs> he's got a, a a a trunk, and he's ready to use it. Yeah. You know what I always say is when confronted with a foe, I say pick a hole and shove. And if I know one thing about the internet, they will always pick a hole and then <laughs> shove. <laughs> Ren, I there's have a oh yeah. What's well, up? no, Kata, you can Kata, you can finish, please. No, I'm sure you have a more intelligent point than the 
the, the thing I was about. I to was say. just no. It was it was just I was trying to like uh, mention Edgewise. One of the huge like kind of outpourings of like uh, attention that the that trailer got. I saw was from a lot of animators just pointing out the details that are like this is how you would cheat. This is how you would like. Uh, like make old sprites like look interesting and like they're doing it in a 3D space like in a, with 3D models but still making it mm. look like that look like old 2D animation and it's like that's part a small part of why like there's like a lot of attention to detail in these that it's not just like the world is different but even just how they anim- they've animated the characters is markedly different than the the old the like you were saying the 2D ones that just kind of look Blah. because those lifeless. yeah completely lifeless like the 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 biggest thing that's kind of easiest to almost see is like when you look at one of those games the when you're running left to right it's almost in f- straight po- profile like mario's he- face like is like s- uh, straight almost like on sideways when you look at this game and you think back to like old like uh like even Super Mario, right? Like you still see his other eye. Like it's, a, it's always a three quarters view, even though you're moving straight left and right. And it's like a small detail that just adds a little bit of uh, visual uh, interest that they're like returning to in this one, where they've like that. Yeah, like the old two D style was just like, what or the old new Super Mario two mm-hmm. D? Yeah. I know we yes the old <laughs> yeah. new and by new new Super, new Mar- Super yes, Mario. I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. But like the you get the it. last real time they. You know, if, if we compare it to like lines of 2D and 3D Mario, like that yeah. is, we haven't seen, we've seen them be very inventive on the 3D style, yes. right? Like the differences between, you know, 64 to Odyssey to Galaxy to um, to Odyssey. Like uh, they've, 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 there's a lot of inventiveness in how they draw those worlds. Yeah. Whereas with, with the 2D stuff, it's sort of. <laughs> New Super Mario Brothers sold a shitload on Wii, and then they made another one. They made the an updated version of it for Wii U. Yeah. Then they just ported that to Switch. They didn't even make a sequel. No. Like it is just <laughs> that original game, but now with Luigi. Uh, and so it, this is, I mean, in many ways is is them revisiting a game that they have not touched in like a decade. Yeah, uh, long at time. This point. Um, and now they're. Now we got a sexy elephant. I was I was gonna ask uh, Ren. I I not you know now that I'm so far away from it, I really I don't even want to say it. But I was gonna ask you know, as a fellow big pisser, do you yeah. think Elephant Mario is also a big pisser? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. Well, Massive. it's time for a break. Um, the, the- uh, we'll be back after No, the question is if is he if it is if he's a big sipper because those two things are not always connected. But I mean, wouldn't big sipping? Mean big, big pissing? pissing? That's yeah. what you'd think, but some people are really good at storing pee in their body. <laughs> We've also been playing some games, and we'll be back to talk to you about them after this. Big sipping. And we're back. Uh, 
Patrick, among we've all been playing lots of games. I've been playing some of the hottest games of today because you know with remap it was important for us to be topical. So I've been playing yeah, Jedi Fallen yeah. Order. Yeah. But I feel oh, like Rob, it's okay. I've been playing games from 2008. Sorry, as you were saying. <laughs> but I do feel like Patrick has at least been proudly carrying the flag of of remap toward <laughs> releases from the present day. And you've been playing Final Fantasy 16. I have. Yeah, I've I've played maybe 10, 11 hours of 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 Final Fantasy 16 so far. It is I don't know where which proper nouns do you want to start on? I can give you a list. Um do you want ether? Mm-hmm. Do you want bearers? Mm-hmm. Do you want dominance? Do you want uh icons? Do you want blight? Sorry, I'd love to know about dominance. Dominance, right. So dominance are the kaiju. They those okay. are what they are called the uh, is a more formal name given to what we called summons. So the, like a free uh, is now a dominant. Yeah. Yes. 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 Uh, like yeah. All 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 your friends Which are, are here. All, don't try to do an <laughs> Hey, hey folks, don't try to do an search for dominance just to see what happens. <laughs> uh, You're saying Final that the Fantasy, of Final Fantasy the on, is not it's not yeah. It's not caught not, up. Nope. <laughs> it has not. What do you get if you search for Final Fantasy dominant? You might just get some sexy art. Sorry, let me just know. Let me just know. We all know that Ifrit is a brat, as you were saying. Um, those are dominance. Your other Good, options. Great. So, uh, oh, actually, I got that wrong. Icons are actually uh, what they are. The the kaiju's, the summons. Dominance are people in the world the that are able to summon and inhabit the icons, mm. aka the summons. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. there are hey, bearers. Hey, bearers are yes. Can you spell icons real quick? E I K. O-N-S. Good, thank you. Okay. Yeah, real Final <laughs> Fantasy time over here. Uh, bearers are uh, magic, magically enha- uh, folks who can summon magic at will mm-hmm. um, without mm-hmm. using mm-hmm. ether. Ether mm-hmm. is uh, a close, uh, what do they call it in Final Fantasy VII? Lifeblood? Like it's kind mm-hmm. of like the, the power of the planet. Sure. Yeah. Um, M- uh, Mako so energy. Mako. Mako energy, yeah. Right, right. Um, but I think it's actually called like Mako energy is what it, be, it when it's extracted, yeah, yeah. it becomes that. But I believe like it is like life force is, is might what it be called when it's in the planet raw. Uh, and e- ether is sort of magic that exists as some sort of the life stream. You know, the life stream. There we go. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Kata. And and ether is is essentially like like some sort of power of the planet, like air or um, uh, a life force that you you have to then channel in order to cast magic, which you would then use through things called crystals that come from the mother crystals. Mm. And in this world, I was going to, uh, which is, I was wondering how long it took until we got to crystals. You know, it's a final fantasy game. Yeah. Gotta have your crystals. Va- uh, Valisthea, I believe is how you pronounce the area uh, that this takes place. In. And there's a bunch of like kind of nation states underneath it. And the nation states are, all centered around where this raw material called mother crystals, because for the average person, magic has permeated the society. Magic is, is so th- it is very game of Thrones uh, influenced. Um, they've been upfront that like, that was like a primary inspiration for building out the world. But whereas game of Thrones magic exists kind of on the periphery or in whispers. Magic is coming like back dra- into the world in game of Thrones. It, the time Correct. of magic is largely passed. Yeah. Yes, yes, and sort of, sort of mysterious, like sp- spoken about. It's maybe you hear about it in tales, but it's outside of dragons. Like you, there's not real uh, evidence of it in your everyday life. Whereas here, I mean, this game's opens with people using their finger to light 
magic cigarettes. And it's Fuck so yeah. fucking cool. Hell yeah. Like, it's so Hell good. Yeah. Like this very sexy oh, hot lady that looks evil as fuck <laughs> is then lighting up a pipe if, with like their uh, the, with their finger and could, it looks so good. If I could generate a little flame on my finger, the speed with which I would become a lifelong smoker is staggering. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to assume in this world, it's like magic smoke. So maybe it's not doing as right, much long term right, right, damage. Right. It's mm-hmm. just aesthetic. Like I can just look like I get I with you. I'm I don't want I'm not going to become a smoker, but I look I'm so, like, smoking is cool. The cigarette companies like, were also saying exactly cool. this about the future of smoking in 1963. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, guys, uh, we swear we're figuring we have wizards on this right now. We mm-hmm, will we will mm-hmm, make that mm-hmm. shit clean. Promise. Uh, and so a lot of the, the tension in this world Give comes from way. these different regions that have mother crystals. Nations are born out of them. The uh, it, uh, the crystals are then distributed to the masses, sold, uh, because uh, in order to get water, for example, like they've just not built the infrastructure to get water from natural locations. You need crystals in order to provide water to like the well in your town. And so people have become... You know, it's, it's, it's definitely analogous to something like oil, right? Like they have become addicted to two crystals to do basic tasks. Like they're one of the side quests you have in the game is this, 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 uh, do not become this character addicted to who, water. <laughs> you will yeah, come to, yeah. uh, what's the, what's the phrase? You will come to, uh, ah, oh, fuck. I forgot. Your what, words and deeds. Whatever, whatever, what's his face says in, in Fury Road, uh, in Joe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You'll come to, uh, like regret it's, or, uh, regret it's, uh, Ah, well, it was a memorable line. It was kind of once upon a time. Look, find that it. line and just edit it into <laughs> yeah, the podcast. Yeah, it'll, it'll be good at the end. <laughs> we're going to drop in the actual audio clip from the That's what the I mean. Yeah, yes. Do yes. not, do not, my friends, become addicted to water. It will take hold of you and you will resent its absence. You'll resent uh, its absence, okay. Yes, and that is that is the situation like this uh, Valsbea uh, finds itself in. God. One of the early side quests is, is you know, this shopkeeper who fishes and is using just sitting over these fish, trying desperately to freeze them before the the sun makes them unedible. And he has dropped his crystal by a bunch of crabs that you have to go fight to retrieve it back to them. So that, that this kind of like high level, oh, like kind of the world that, that, that you're side quest. Sorry. That's a, that's a beautiful video uh, game side. Well, quest. um, side quest where just go fight three crabs, get item, give it to a yeah. guy. Does that sound like an MMO? Because that's a, Okay. Hmm. Final Fantasy 16, a game of extreme highs and lows. I am quite liking it. I think it has some of the best action I've experienced in a game in a long time. And to put that into a Final Fantasy Hmm. world style of game, I've long talked about, uh, like, I love Devil May Cry. Devil May Cry is like so much about going from an arena to an arena to an arena. And I was like, man, I really love if a game was had this like level of combat finesse, but was set in a bigger stage, um, not necessarily open world, but just a, a bigger world than going from one combat arena to the next. And I don't know that Final Fantasy 16 gets all the way there. It's world. We'll, t- we'll get there. Um, I mean, you're in there. Is there much to do? We're not sure. Actually, we are sure. And that is a problem. But the combat is excellent. It is fluid. It is fast. It is dynamic. It is as good, at least to someone like myself. I'm not necessarily hitting S's on every single 
uh, or triple S's in every uh, single combat encounter in Devil May Cry, but uh, it feels good as shit. And it is so much fun to dash around, attack, juggle. You are just doing things in a Final Fantasy game that I have never done before, and it doesn't feel like it's a half half measure. It doesn't feel as though, hey, people are tired of turn-based. How do we get a more action-heavy flow? You know, I think Final Fantasy VII Remake was getting there, but like, Kato, I know you played that, and yeah. I quite liked the the com- combat of that. This is way better <laughs> than that. Um, is the unfortunate it? part is that I, I don't think it's paired with a world nearly as interesting as what's happening in Final uh, Fantasy VII. Which is, what were you going to say? Is it better or different? Right, because I like the specific pace of Seven Remake in that it's it feels like it's still a turn-based battle I'm playing out super quickly or something right Mm -hmm. yeah that's fair i i think this is like what you're the way you're describing it it sounds like it's just turned into an action game which that's also good but in a different way right yes yes i guess for me it is more i love right character action games uh i love like third person i'm a i'm a guy i'm something some sort of weirdo and i'm just beating the shit out of out of people and like this is that dropped in to sort of a more grander scale RPG. Right. So I think you're right. The stylistically, they're trying to accomplish different things, coming at it from a different perspective. And I just really like what they've done here. I think the combat is just tremendous. And that's good because there's a lot of it. The world. The, I think the actual politics they set up for the different nation states, The the all of this works really well up front. I've heard it gets very messy and very bad towards the end. <laughs> I have not gotten to that point, and thank God, because right now I can just be like, this seems great, and this seems interesting, and I want to see how this plays out. The The main dynamic is uh, two brothers, uh, Clive and Joshua Rossfield, uh, I believe is how you pronounce their, their last name, and you're playing Clive. This is, a, this is a Final Fantasy without party members. You will have companions. You have a dog uh, that you can direct commands to on a very limited basis. Mm. He's delightful, loves to send enemies up, so that you can do an air combo, and we love him for nice. it, and we will give him all the pets. And you can. You can hold square and give uh, the, the dog a pet. Uh, you play as Clive, and Clive is uh, 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 someone who can use magic because they've been, quote, touched by the phoenix. But they're part of a royal bloodline in which they're waiting for the emergence of a dominant. Because being near these these massive crystals, then you also need someone who can channel these, like, Godzilla-esque creatures because th- th- these are like mm-hmm. <laughs> like the nuclear bombs that each of these nation states wield. And so uh, when Clive is born and he has not been picked to be sort of like the herald of the uh, of of these of these creatures or however, and the, the game is that super clear at least up front. Like, <laughs> what is the agency of these creatures? <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not really sure. But basically, you want your big creatures on the on the on the battlefield. You need a dominant. And Clive's brother Joshua. Uh, who's much younger, um, ends up be, becoming the dominant. And your character is essentially ostracized by the family. Your mother, right up front, is like, you are a piece of shit. <laughs> You're here because your dad seems to like you, but you are an embarrassment to the family. You're disgusting, and you would be cast out if your father wasn't here. And she's clearly wow. just setting up to be... Um, you know, control Joshua, control a dominant and and make power plays based based on what what happens there. And so it sets up like a really interesting set of circumstances for the player, their role in this family, uh, w- w- how these 
dynamics could then play out on a a broader like political scale um as you you can sort of imagine from something that would be pulling from from game of thrones uh i I get the demo goes over some of the big there's like some early big shit that happens that i i won't spoil here in case you did not play the demo that really changes up the dynamic between clive uh and joshua um, real quick that, is that was the yeah. is the demo one of those like it's just the beginning of the game and you like roll it into it yes. with the same save yep you can care you can care, yeah so if you wanted to test this yeah. out and see if you like the game and then you want to play it it will just bring your save data uh over into to the final one i think it's just like the first two-ish hours and then there's a combat scenario so you can see a little bit of the the late game uh, uh combat um and yeah, so it, all these pieces are in place. The combat is is like really fun and interesting. The world seems fascinating in the way that it's balancing between wanting to do not necessarily more grounded Final Fantasy uh, like grandeur and magic, but is is coming at it from a different angle. That was all really working for me. I quite liked Game of Thrones for the you know a decent chunk of its of its run. And sure, make the magic more forward, and I'm all into it. But the problem is. Like, this world is just not very interesting to explore. There are so many cutscenes. And the cutscenes are fucking great. They're so good. But the amount of times I walk into a room, get a cutscene, cutscene finishes, I walk to the other side of that room, open door, new cutscene. I believe I saw a number <laughs> floating around this game has 10 hours of cutscenes. Jesus. Like, to give you a... And they're That's great. what I'm here for with well, Final Fantasy, though. But, but yes, it's mm. just... um. The way it is structured is a little bit strange. It is clear that this game is chasing more of a modern action game of a, a naughty dog variety. And I'm not using that as a particular touchstone to say that they're trying to make a naughty dog game, but it is meant to be like sweeping grand action world with cutscenes that are doing things the player can't do and then mixing that in with this excellent combat. Ren, sorry, your hand. I just wanted to note that for context, that's like a th- cutscenes are like a third of the game's runtime. Most people are taking about yeah about forty hours to to get through it unless you're really really hustling. Yes, I've, I saw that like mm. I think one IGN pl- uh, That's critic got through it in thirty, but I think most people are looking at forty to fifty to get through it. But you're not like however you slice it, it's a huge amount of time. But the cutscenes are great; they are super fun. I am excited. At, like it, re- it is not uh, the case that the cutscenes are doing things that I want to do in the game. Like what I do in the game is also extremely good it is like the combat is so fun and and really dynamic that when what's happening the cutscenes like that's fine like let me just see that shit like that is just like a really cool spectacle event that um or some some fun dialogue exchanges the problem i'm having is and i and i kept you know i was trying to figure out like how i wanted to frame my thoughts on the game when we got to to this point in in the podcast and i kept waiting like this game is so linear i am just going from one end of a hallway to another and that could be like me going up one side of a mountain to the other side of that mountain but it is all just go straight it's like okay well maybe the game is just very slow and it's not slow in the sense that like what's happening is slow but in terms of giving the player room to explore which i don't know that is necessarily a foundational element of final fantasy or however you want to categorize this style of game but at a certain point in most of these styles of games there's a moment where i'm in a big field yeah and I'm going to go explore. It opens and up. that could be a field. It could be a cave. It could be like the scope of that has changed as these games have gotten more expensive, right? Like I'm going to be so curious to see how Final Fantasy leaving uh, leaving Midgar. Seven. Yes, like, Le- leaving the corridors in... of Final Fantasy 13. <laughs> right, 
Right. And it's like, there are all these moments in these games where like, it makes a big, you know, a big spectacle of you getting into this big open space and exploring. And I had not encountered any of those. And even in the spots where you can pull up a little mini map of the area you're in, it's like, oh, I guess I, I can see how the geometry goes. There's no fog of war. So you can see the whole map to start. It's like, okay, well, I see that I could go off to this side. Oh, and they've marked it like there's a water fountain over there. I wonder what's over there. Here's what's over there. Nothing. Mm. Nothing is over there. There's an item drop. Like, you get a potion. Um, there's not any interesting loot. There's going to be a bunch of fights though. that you can get in. Yeah. And those fights those <laughs> fights are going to be all right, but and they're fun, but there's nothing... You're not going to be rewarded for your curiosity. And the game is actually super static about this, where I, I finally made it to an area where, like, the camera cut back, and I looked at the, the quote, mini-map in front of me. I was like, oh, that's big. Like, that's going to take me 45 minutes to explore this space. Finally, the game is going to answer for me what's happening in these spaces. And the answer was, when I press the mini-map button, there's two green dots that tell me there are side quests in this spot and that spot. Haven't met those people. Don't know what's going on over there. But it's the game admitting to me, up front, hey, you don't need to go. Like, you can go to the right, you can go to the left. We've put some geometry there, and we've put some fights there. But all that's there is like a flashing blue icon that's going to give you an item you can just go get from the shop or some crafting. It has never, it has not been anything meaningful or interesting. There's no side stories. You do not feel as though you are picking apart this world, turning over a rock and finding something interesting. And at the stage that I'm at, I guess it's possible that stuff still exists. But I think at this point, the game is kind of communicating to me pretty upfront. Hey, this is a much more linear straightforward experience if a quest takes you to that part of the map then go to that part of the map because the quest takes you there because that's Mm -hmm. that's what ended up happening in this area i explored the whole space because i really wanted to find out maybe there is other stuff i i'm not seeing and this will finally be an opportunity for the game to 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 afford that stuff to me there was nothing it was just item drops and combat i go up this ladder um do a main quest sequence and then there's a couple of side quests that open up and one of them asked, like, hey, can you I can you go down and fight these crabs? My friend went over there and I'm worried about them. And I go back around, uh I you know, I kind of follow where the marker is leading me, and the character Clive uh, you know, mentions, like, oh, I think that's the ladder we're supposed to take. And it's like, yeah, motherfucker, I know. We <laughs> took that ladder two minutes ago. Because what the game wants me to do is having taken the straightforward path, yeah. encounter the side quest. Now follow that down the path that takes me to the ladder that the game thinks I haven't seen before because it's put in some dialogue to comment on it. And so I don't know that it makes Final Fantasy 16 bad necessarily, but it's different than what I was expecting. And I would encourage people that if they do play it to sort of just stick to the script because I think you're going to be disappointed if you start going off the beaten path hoping there are going to be these kind of traditional rewards for RPG exploration. That just does not seem to be the case here. And further disappointing is that the, the side quests I have encountered so far are very perfunctory MMO, go get the thing and th- then get like, you know, a thousand, you know, dollars or w- w- what they call it in Final Fantasy. Gil. Jill. Um, Jill? And Do you see I, I have found that to be... It's a hard G. <laughs> It's, buddy, it's a hard G. Most people have just read these words. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's fair. I've never, that's yeah, I've never that's said it out loud whenever, before. Like, whenever we're having those moments of like, you say it like this, yeah, it's a word most people have interacted with by reading it. 
So mm-hmm. they made up the pronunciation. They, I think they say it in seven, but okay. <laughs> yeah, we've been yeah. counting these games since we were little kids, though, when the characters didn't say anything out loud. So yeah. like these things tend to stick. Yeah. yeah. Um. Sorry, Ren, did you, you had something you want to say? Oh, yeah. I just had a, a broad question about these side quests. Yeah. How are these heading for you tonally? Like, like what is, because like if the tone of this game is like deeply rooted in like Game of Thrones and, and I've heard like some like it is, it is leaning into the grim darkness is are yes, the side quests also grim dark? Like, do you go look for the guy's crystal and he's like, oh, sorry, bud. I found the crystal and your dead brother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Didn't no, even know you like had one, one. of the, <laughs> one of the first, I mean, the game, you know, I have not read all of, um, I've not, you know, played further in the game to see how further comments that I, I know that, uh, uh, our former colleague, Gita Jackson, the review that, um, Gita wrote at Polygon, like very much forwards the game's commentary, uh, on or attempt at commentary on slavery, which is a central theme and discussion point in 16, because your character, this bearer bearers, like, uh, like in, in the, in the world, depending on where you're born, bearers can be treated better or worse. But like, broadly speaking, if you're a magic user, you're going to be turned into a slave and you are going to be used by the world around you, especially if you are part of a nation state that does not have access to crystals as readily as some of the mm-hmm. some of the other ones. And so uh, bearers are then branded and like you also be called a branded because that means you are a bearer. And uh, like, so for example, I say all this to one of the first quests that I kind of I kind of came across when the world was opening up a little bit was somebody with a uh uh, like their their cart had fallen, had like uh, gotten knocked over because they were trying to transport some food that uh, or like a, more like a treat that chocobos love. And the chocobos came over and knocked that shit over and said, we're going to feast. Uh, and they were asking, hey, can you go up ahead and finish this delivery that I was supposed to make? Because it seems like you're headed that way anyway. And I was like, and then you're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, I can do that. And like, great. And uh, after you do that, mm-hmm. make sure to remind your master where you've been, because uh, I don't think you're supposed to be on this road. And the game hits on that over and over. There's a there's a there's a side quest. Uh, it's also in this in this this uh, kind of like a major town in the in the around the 10 hour mark of, of the game where uh, you're you meant to track down somebody who's been outed as a bearer. Mm-hmm. They didn't have they were not branded. So they've been able to get through most of their life without the branding. And then someone figures it out. I don't know if they got caught using magic. And then you go and track that person down. You don't have any agency in the quest. You end up just doing the right thing of like telling like this fucker to go away. Mm-hmm. And or like you say that the friend died and then uh, you go and help them. And because there's a sort of uh, there's like a whole like sector of people, you know, people who are like uh, trying to like help the bearers. Uh, like sneak around like a sort of like underground railroad situation with the bears. There's a lot of like really loaded like stuff that the game is playing with that I don't know where it all lands. It sounds like it doesn't necessarily do it particularly well based on how other people have talked about it. But that goes in conjunction with your question, Ren, which is that it tries to wrap this stuff around in things that feel heavy. And then at the end of the day, what I'm doing is just a fetch quest. Yeah that doesn't actually have any consequence or weight. And the encounters that happen along the way are not meaningfully different than encounters. I would just have going from point A to point B. And so I sort of reached a point with the game where like, I think you're communicating to me game, what you are and what you are is 
like a, a pretty bombastic linear action game and I should just treat you that way, even if some of the aesthetics and, and, and world design like don't want to leave behind. They're like, yeah, but sometimes you just like explore a space and there's stuff there. And like, yeah, but we didn't have time to fill it with <laughs> anything mm-hmm. worth worthwhile. And what you what is going to be worthwhile, we are going to mark on the map and you're going to be able to find it, which is fine, but it does feel like a game at odds with its legacy, with its history. And rather than leaving that stuff behind, it tries to serve these like many worlds, many interests of what a Final Fantasy game is because Final Fantasy straddles so many generations of fans. It's like, well, what does Final Fantasy mean to you? It's like, I don't know. Which one did you play? Like these games mm-hmm. have changed so much and this feels like another pivot point. And I'm excited about where where it could go if they decide to continue down this path for, for future games. Um, and I think this is uh, a really in, like good marker, like really good bones for what they could do in the future. But it does feel like a game at odds with itself. Um, and it's more of an action game than an RPG. And like, even in the RPG stuff, it is not clear to me that you are doing builds necessarily. Uh-huh. Um, you So the game starts out, you have a basic set of actions, and then you start getting, you can sort of absorb the power of these other icons, like mm-hmm. at, at like major milestones in the game. Like I, I have power of fire, which is the phoenix. And then eventually I'm able to get power of wind, uh, and that gives me some, some different sets of attacks that I can switch through so quickly. Like I can do a, I can have, I can command my dog to shoot, uh, to to bite an enemy and throw them in the air. I can then use a wind attack that like meets me in the air with them, and then I can uh, do a downward strike that sends them down, and then I have a different attack that can push them. Like there's so many cool things you can do, but the ability points that I'm earning through combat. I can spend them on everything. Like it is not as though mm-hmm. like Rob, when you and I were playing Diablo and you're looking at the the skill tree and it's like, I don't know where to put the points. Like there are so many places to put the points. And if Diablo it's not quite Path of Exile, but it is certainly met it is trying to overwhelm you with choice. So you're sitting and thinking about how does this fit into the character that I'm playing and how that interacts with the world. Final Fantasy 16 is just like, look, you spend enough time in combat, you're gonna get the points, mm-hmm. you can max out everything and then it just becomes a play style yeah. uh decision which is fine like it doesn't i don't think builds have to like builds do not necessarily sometimes that can be restrictive where you feel like you're locked into a certain play style and you'd like to change it and even here the game is upfront at the start and says look there are points you can spend on things if you would like to remove those points and respend them no consequence do it as many times as you want so even like the decisions you are making the game says up front don't sweat it. You can you can always reassign those and and go in a different direction. Like say you get a new uh, icon and have new sets of powers. You're like those are sick. I don't want the fire ones anymore. I'm never going to use them. You can just dump all your points into into those and and have those be 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 more powerful. So so yeah, that's Final Fantasy 16. I quite like it, but it's a it's an interesting swing. Um, that doesn't quite land all the way, but um. Uh, I am finding it very compelling, and I'll be I'll be playing a lot of it for sure. Nice. So, Ren, uh, you've been exploring Armored Core in all its glories. Yes, I have. Uh, I have recently started playing. Let's think: Armored Core three, Armored Core Last Raven, Armored Core four, and Armored Core four Answer. Um, and I have left this experience well i'm not leaving it i'm gonna keep playing these games but i am even more excited for armored core 6 now i'm fucking thrilled Ooh, i feel so good i feel so excited max baby they're back 
Um, <laughs> and also like watching this, like being able to like go back and like see a series develop its like identity and like redefine its identity and its control schemes a few times over is like really cool to see. Um, three was considered a reboot of the Armored Core series uh, and the like basically the pinnacle of its initial control scheme. Uh, a control- is three, uh, does that transition to PS2? That's PS2. Like when, is, when do we move platforms? Okay, PS1 so is uh armored core uh and i believe armored core master of the arena and i believe maybe two others uh and then armored core 2 is ps2 uh armored Mm. core 3 uh, armored core 2 sequels i believe is silent line uh is here let me just a list of armored core games in release order google thanks google uh here we go all right uh, oh yeah, Armored Core 2 released in 2000 on the PS1. Armored Core 2, Another Age, also, sorry, PS2. Um, Armored Core 3, 2002. Silent Line, Armored Core 2003. Um, then Nexus, then Formula Front, then Ninebreaker, then Last Raven, then 4, 4 Answer, 5, and Verdict Day. Um, so, um... Seeing the control jump from three to four is like kind of astounding. Uh, so for context, three plays with tank controls still. Uh, you are still controlling your armored core with forward goes forward, left and right turn your whole vision. The right stick does nothing. Uh, if I remember correctly from what I played of armored core three, uh, the right stick does very, very, very little. Um, however, um however like three is much slower if you've seen clips of armored core and like seen like like mechs moving at like hundreds of kilometers a second hundreds kilometers a minute uh that is not armored core three uh i can armored core three is a and and last raven are like much much slower games but i've i've really enjoyed my time with them so far uh does that translate into a different conception of like just the mech and what it does yes. in the world. Cause yes. there's always been that, like the Gundam versus battle tech thing, right? Where it's the lumbering hulking tank on legs versus the, like basically a ro a robo samurai, so, uh, like dichotomy. So I'll say this, uh, armored core three is much, much closer to the battle tech style, but I would actually argue that, um, what armored core does is at least four and four answer, uh, are a step even beyond the Gundam style of of like mech combat. It feels like a a thing unto itself. Where like, you know, if hmm. you look at a clip of um, you know, Mobile Suit Gundam, which from Mercury recently, that is a fast show. The aerial is a fast Gundam. Like even as far as mobile suits go, it is quick. Uh, or you know, the other example is uh, Iron Blooded Orphans. These are both fast shows, even by Gundam standards. Uh the thing that I will say about those mechs is that they move at the end of the day in recognizably human ways. Uh, even when the aerial is like at its like most on its bullshit, um, there's a 6v1 fight in Witch from Mercury that's like really, really good. Uh, and, you know, that mech is on its bullshit during that fight. However, at one point it does this boost, and even at its most acrobatic, it boosts, and then it like dampens the the impact of landing by like bending its left knee and ankle as it hits the ground in a way that feels recognizably like people move 
right? There is there is a degree to which it makes sense that you would make these bodies like this because it allows the pilot's sense of self and sense of body to be transported into this thing that moves like them. Faster, yes, but like them also. Armored core, at least in 4 and 4 answer, nexts, the name of the kind of mech that you're piloting, nexts don't move like people. They don't even move like jets. They move like, um, you know how every once in a while there'll be like a, a, a piece of like UFO footage and it's just a weather balloon, but it's still moving around in ways that don't make sense because it's being buffeted by wind currents that you can't see. And it's like, it's almost like watching a hummingbird move. Uh, that is what armored, co- that is what nexts feel like in AC4 and 4 Answer is like even a step beyond a hummingbird. It is like, what if a hummingbird broke their bones every time they moved? That is what it feels like to watch uh, and, and to participate in a fight in 4 and 4 Answer in a way that feels like completely alienating um, from anything else. You don't remember that you are piloting something that looks like your body until the fighting stops and you get a breather and you look at what you're actually moving around. Uh, and I think that's like really sick. Uh, Armored Core Four and Four Answer are also games of, like very much about like becoming deeply alienated from one's own body and from like other people. Uh, there is a reason that Four Answer ends with you killing like millions of people, regardless of ending. Is that like you've just become totally disconnected from what it means to be a person, and like that feels extraordinarily well expressed through the gameplay. Uh, versus three, where again it's much closer to like BattleTech and like. Almost reminds me a bit of Mech Warrior 2 Mercenaries in terms of like its specific version of tank controls. Um, and so yeah, that is that is like a, a, a basic overview of where I'm at with 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 Armored Core. Um just regarding like how you're gonna play in these these games these days, like how because control schemes change in this change in this era, and I'm just curious, like how easy like through emulators is it is it to like get something that feels because there's there's kind of two ways about this right sometimes things are so substantially remapped to modern control schemes that it can be very seamless sometimes you want the original like clunkiness uh, and I'm, I'm curious like how like how does it come through uh like via emulation so three is great Three comes through exactly as it was intended, which is to say that it feels really fucking messy and kind of hard to control uh, like a mech. Four and four answer. Four and four answer feel correct. I don't I, I am worried that I am missing a mechanic. Uh, there is a mechanic in Armored Core for answer called a um, uh, second stage boosting. Uh, and second stage boosting requires you to pull down the trigger about 66% of the way smoothly. Mm. Mm. And, and I am uncertain as to whether or not the device that I am playing this game on is actually able to read that. The, the emulator is saying, yes, I understand what you're trying to do. Yes, I understand that you're trying to press this button down at this specific speed. But like the difference between a standard quick boost and a second stage quick blue, quick boost is staggering uh it's 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 really noticeable but also like when you're moving like a couple thousand kilometers an hour you cannot like even the difference between like even if like i if i intellectually know that like 1800 and 2800 are two very different speeds it can be hard to tell in the moment when you are 
you know, in the middle of a fight. Let me see if I can find a video explaining the difference between first and second stage quick boosting. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. Pat, because I think back, like, there's a ton of FromSoft games that predate the Demon Souls, uh, like, breakthrough moment and such. From's never expressed much interest, much interest in, like, bringing any of that forward through like collections or remasters, right? Like it's just, no, no, it's kind of, it's just been left to, to emulators and, and to fans screwing around. Yeah. It's, it's actually like really a, a bummer that there has not been like a Kingsfield collection or an armored core. And you'd collection. figure with the interest that their other games have generated, right. if they were going to embrace the wide release remaster strategy, they would have done it by now. Yeah, would have I think if we were going to see any of that, we would have seen it with Armored Core, right? Like like with the the Souls games, there was a, a real incentive, understandable to do like uh, like Dark Souls remastered, right? Like which is like you can sell that, package it, you know, upgrade the fidelity, like the game itself is already solid, didn't need to be messed with. Um and even here you wouldn't have to do a ton with that, but you'd have to do actual work to get these function you know there's ui elements there's actual stuff that would have to be done and if it was going to happen you would have hoped it was going to happen with armored core and it's just too bad because there is such a rich history of there's more pre demon souls to from software than there is post mm-hmm. we may know of the studio more they may be maybe uh, better known in the, in the broader consciousness but from software has been an incredibly prolific successful studio making all sorts of really interesting games for a very long time and yeah, you're right. There's just there is just not meaningfully easy ways to engage with them. I would love something even as broad as like a like from is a prolific enough that like they could have their own like rare collection mm-hmm. um, that was just look okay maybe it's going to be hard to sell some of some of these games on their own, but like putting them in some sort of historical God, document love that. would be so cool. Oh yeah, um, they, they have a lot of stuff from the PS2 era that like oh what was that one? I really liked it at the time. Um, it's an action adventure game. Uh, uh, Evergrace um, uh, was a uh, kind of like launch era PS2 action game that I that I quite liked. It came out around the same time as um, the same year as Armored Core 2, actually. And the Adventures of Cookies and Cream, one of the all time great co-op games. Nobody played that game. That game was fucking sick. Um, but anyway, yes, I'm, I'm with you, Rob. It is it is a it is a bummer that they're there's not a better way to engage with these games other than doing what everyone does, which is downloading an emulator and asking the fan communities, what's the best way to do this? Yeah. So yeah, Ren, this video you showed, like you've got regular, like you call it like a, a regular boost, but then second staging looks like your dash in, so, in a lot of games. No, no, okay. no, no. Second staging is a variant of the dash. Okay. So effectively you have regular boosting where you fly around and then you yeah. have quick boosting, which is where, you know, you can quick boost. You can, like, do a quick dash, uh, to, to borrow your terminology. Second staging is when you use that dash by pulling down the trigger at a very particular speed and trying to... Oh, I to, see it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm, you can see the difference. And, like, it's really hard to tell if I'm doing that properly. Uh, right. When I'm when I'm doing the emulated version to like figure out what could theoretically be going wrong with the input, uh, but like this game is highly technical uh, in its in its movement because of quick because of second staging, right? Uh, am- among other things, uh, there's there's a reason that people joke about playing this game by holding the controller backwards. That's something that no one actually did. Uh, it was a bit that became like very well known publicly. Um, 
but it is like an extremely like deep movement system, especially because you can also cancel these boosts into other boosts. And so like, that is how you get to this like absolutely blisteringly fast combat is by canceling boosts into other boosts and quick boosts, which like just allows for like a truly obscene amount of movement options and like movement tech. Um, and so there's a possibility that like just via like the way you're playing it yeah. and like the this the, like the the skill ceiling the skill floor required to do this reliably you're whiffing it but it feels like you haven't it feels like you just might not be there exactly that is a thing that i've like seen a common complaint is people being like I don't know if my emulator's broken or if like the timing on this is so particular that I got used to it with an older controller right. and now I can't reproduce it because I'm not on a PS3 controller anymore. Um and that's like a really fascinating that's a really fascinating history and like it makes me especially interested in seeing what this game will play like what Armored Core 6 plays like on PS5. Because like that is a system that has those haptic feedback, like that that has those mm -hmm. haptic triggers, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. I bet, I bet that quick mm -hmm. boosting and second staging <laughs> will feel fucking terrific on a PlayStation Five. Are you kidding me? Ooh, I bet it feels so good because like Astro's playroom with a body count in the millions. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: FromSoft has done this already. The bows in Demon Souls, uh, in the uh, PS5 version of that game, do in fact have like pretty unique, like haptic pressure sensitive control options. Not from software, right. not from software. That was Blue, Blue Point. It's a good point. It's yeah. a good point. Um, Maybe they'll be inspired by what Blue Point did, though, and be like, "We should give it a little, put a little extra mustard on the <laughs> uh, on the way the controls work." Um, yeah, that that like that series sounds so cool. It's it's a shame that. You know, we can hope that maybe if you know the new game comes out, it does well. Like there will be a resurgence, and and Armored Core Fever will sweep the world, and they will <laughs> you know do some sort of collection. But it seems historically this is just not likely, and uh, it it remains part of like deep FromSoft lore. Uh, but you know, hopefully the hopefully the new game uh, you know mm -hmm. brings forth a lot of what's been historically really fascinating about the arc that series has been on. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, and I want to come back and talk about a few things I've been playing, and then we'll dip into the question bucket and mm -hmm. uh, wrap the show. So back after this. And we're back. Uh, so real quickly, I just wanted to revisit a game I discussed a couple weeks ago, Star Trek Resurgence, which is that Telltale uh, spin out. Sorry, is it Dramatic Labs, Patrick, I think? Yeah, there's, I think we, there is new Telltale. They're yes. working on, um, oh, what's the fantasy? I can't remember. Anyway, there is a new Telltale working on new stuff. And then there is uh, X Telltale, folks, which is the studio you're speaking about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about it. It seemed cool. It also seemed a little janky. And it is 
it stays about as janky as I mentioned at the start, but I do think it is a cooler game than I, you know, I, I said up front that it was, it seemed neat. It seems like it had potential. I've played quite a bit more now, and the more I play it, the more I kind of dig it and would kind of probably increase the strength of my recommendation for folks who are Star Trek fans or Star Trek curious. Uh, right now I'm in the middle, middle of a very, I'm a bit of a Star Trek kick uh, the past few weeks. I was like, you know what? Well, the strange, give- new, strange New World started, right? The 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 new season. Uh, yeah, and like I love Strange New Worlds. Uh, new season seems like it's gonna be cool. I also realized that uh, Star Trek Discovery's second season is basically a season long soft pilot for Strange New Worlds. It introduces mm. Captain Pike and Spock, and feels very much like a season of that TV show. So you know, I've been really mm. digging into that. I think with Resurgence, like. What's the, what's the way to put it? I think the neat thing about it is that it actually does have its own identity. It's not like I like this is a slight spoiler, but I think everyone knows it by this point. Uh, and they even like had it in some of the games marketing. It's just it was I think it was intended to be revealed. Just didn't really land. Spock ends up being a major character in this game. He's introduced fairly early. And first of all, I have to say, like the voice actor they got to do Spock is doing the most uncanny Leonard Nimoy uh like performance that I could imagine. Like to the point where I heard it and I was like, did they have the did they have like voice sessions on ice from like 10 years ago that they did with like has this been in the works for like five, six years? Because that's Nimoy. And it isn't. It's just somebody who is completely dialed in on not just like it's not an impression right it's it's not like somebody doing a spock voice it is like every aspect of the performance is like completely dialed in there is um uh i won't say the character but there is a character in jedi survivor in which a very similar moment happens robert oh man is this like a ai thing like we doing like you know voice banks and and build new dialogue it's like no actually it's just an actor, a voice actor, doing an incredible job nice. of re- reproducing, like an, an iconic voice, and being able to, you know, and then do better work with it than if you were doing any of the other, the <laughs> more unsettling methods yeah. of, of of trying to continue that forward. Right, and, that, and that's the thing. Like, see, people can do these really, really great impersonations. Actually, they will get things. Because there's an understanding of the performance that like an AI can't really that like just doing it like by like uh, adjusting a voice can't really quite bring across. But yeah, uh, Peter Michael is the is the voice actor and it is it's a really impressive piece of work. But the funny thing is you like that's kind of the one major nod to classic star trek but it's not really self-congratulatory about it and even though this game takes place sort of in next generation era and there were sort of the next generation uniforms and there are references to that series as well it doesn't feel like it is completely beholden to other conceptions of trek or like like flavors of trek there have been it's a really smart way of it feels like uh Folks just wanted to tell a really solid Star Trek story in this universe and didn't necessarily sweat so much how it felt like this show or that show or how much of these. The thing I really appreciate is sometimes, you know, you get these feelings that 
these are cl- these are the old characters effectively, but the serial numbers have been filed off. The you know the 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 cast of characters you'll meet will sort of neatly map to previous incarnations of the property. That's not going on here. It feels like a a different a different ensemble. And so the more I play it, like even though that that jankiness doesn't go completely away, some of that audio glitching doesn't completely go away. The performance is is kind of uneven. The more I play it, the less I less I sweat that, and the more I'm kind of just digging it as a really good piece of Star Trek media, and one that doesn't require that you have memorized a whole bunch of like lore source material. Uh, so, like, you know, you as I sort of mentioned, it starts out where you are the new executive officer, second in command aboard the starship that has recently suffered major losses in a catastrophic accident, and your captain. Some people blame your captain. Your captain also seems kind of not not unbalanced in terms of like a like psychologically, but unbalanced just in terms of is this person still have the right calculation? Still, they still have the right framework for what their role is and like to make the right calculations about risk versus reward. And all of this is sort of brought to a fever pitch because you intervene in what amounts to a mining strike effectively like the the plot of this game is you journey out to go deal with this planet that is like home to one of the galaxy's biggest dilithium mines which every starship runs on in star trek and it's a situation where it's the moon of a planet uh with one species on it and before they could become like achieve warp capable flight which you know in in the land in star trek once the civilization is warp capable the Federation reveals itself and says, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're actually joining a, like a community of interstellar nations. And so this is, that's how you sort of find out what's going on. That's not what happened to these folks. What happens is a more advanced civilization showed up to start mining their asteroid and put them to work as the miners. And so for centuries, you have this thing where a more advanced civilization takes a, uh, primitively spacefaring civilization i suppose it'd be like if uh an advanced race showed up during the apollo program right and was like all right (laughs) congratulations on reaching the moon now you can mine it for us you you sort of arrive after this has been going on for decades or centuries and the race that's sort of been press ganged into being the miners have risen up and seized control of the mines but along the way they also appear to be using some sort of like lost technology from an ancient precursor race, but it's, it's got this like, you know, a lot of um, telltale games, they live and die by how, how interesting is it to choose your own adventure through these conversations? Like how much are you engaged by when people pose the question to you or you have to make a decision? How interesting is that decision? How big is that question? And also how interesting the effects and that was going to be, I played a lot of these Telltale games. It was actually the only thing, like the only style of game that I've played with with my wife, who largely doesn't find games like to be, just doesn't have the time. It doesn't find them all that interesting. But we would play a lot of these Telltale games. And the thing about the Telltale style of, of writing and sort of like choice structure was at the end of the day, you weren't making a lot of choices. It was, it was not j- just purely like, 
variations of gray, but it was like you were kind of getting funneled into the same thing, but you felt like you're doing choices along the way. And as long as you feel like you're making meaningful choices, it sort of doesn't matter where you end up because the journey is more important than the destination. And so I wonder if you've seen any reflection on with this group, like, hey, that's what we did. That was the approach with all these games that we made. And they couldn't vary it that much because of the production schedule of like the Telltale stuff was ruthless. It was a, it was a hard place to work. I'm just I'm wondering if you're seeing any evidence of a variation in approach and sort of choice structure uh, as you're as you're confronted with like different scenarios. Yeah, you know, I'd have to go back through it. I think to really see. There's times where I feel I feel strongly that yeah, I made a choice, but it sure feels like that particular scene was going to go this way no matter what, right? That the the choice triggers the end of the cutscene. And it's almost like the concluding conversation is written so that no matter what prompt you chose, it ends that same way and it roughly fits. But I think the thing they have broadly succeeded at is mostly what your decisions impact is the way characters feel about you and the way they interact with you moving forward. And that part does feel more uh, like there's more consequence that there is greater sense that because of an interaction earlier, it changes the style and tone of interactions later. Even if those interactions are broadly substantially similar, it still feels like, ah, but the relationship is different. Maybe this, maybe this conversation, maybe this dilemma comes up no matter what, but the tenor of it does feel different based on the way these characters have interacted in the past. Uh, and, And then again, just some of the dilemmas that come up, it does feel like there are like, Genuinely, there's some hard decisions that are put to you uh, pretty, pretty consistently about like, you know, there, there's a sequence where you are meeting with the queen of the plant of the of the folks who've just risen up and seized control of the mine. And remember, the Federation is there trying to be a neutral third party to try to like basically prevent this from turning into a massive shooting war uh, between an advanced race and their former labor force. But it's predicated on like you need to maintain a certain neutrality, but you get pinned down about what do you think is just here? How do you think this should really go? Do you think we should give the mind back to these folks who've exploited us for a century or so? Like if there, if it were you, how would you like handle this decision? And you get boxed in in really interesting ways here where it's like, well, like my inclination is obviously justice lies in this direction. But if you throw too hard in that direction, the folks who are coming with the warships to reclaim their minds or the, the minds they think are theirs, we'll say you're not a neutral third party and you end up in having a lot of those moments of, Oh wow. I've been really painted into a corner here where I have nothing, but I have nothing but answers here that are going to boomerang on me in some way that I can't quite see yet, but I can feel it coming. And that, that stuff all really works. And and plus just the vibe is like pitch perfect in terms of good overall star Trek uh, show. And so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I came into it and in some ways it seemed like such a a B-grade game and all of that. And now I'm it still has a bit of that. But the execution is so high that you do end up in that Star Trek place of Next Generation is a TV classic. That was a syndicated TV show often mm-hmm. made on a, you know, a decent budget for shows like that. But a shoestring compared to a lot of what we expect now. And this kind of has that vibe. And I have gone from being like, yeah, this is all right. If you, if you really dig Star Trek to, you know, if you 
if you like Star Star Trek at all, this becomes a much more interesting game. And so, uh, you know, I just want to revisit that and and sort of call out how how much cooler it has actually turned out to be in practice. The other thing I've been playing a bit of, and we'll be talking about this, I hope, more next week, is uh, the System Shock remake. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing a bit with Natalie, and then I thought maybe I should have a save that was my own mm-hmm. and play a bit of that as well. Is is that um? Are, are you? I saw a clip. You uh, you phrased it as, "Do you want to see the moment the soul left my body?" Um, I did not watch the full context of the clip, but it did seem to imply that a notable amount of progress may have been lost during a playthrough. Is this, did this perhaps, I know you're saying, oh, I want to have my own experience, but maybe, is this a backstop? Is this uh, also a bit of a, a plan B for? A little bit of a backstop, I think. <laughs> I would say, so there's a couple things. Natalie and I both have an allergy to just letting our character get killed and respawned in the, like, clone uh, tube that exists in yeah. in the game but part of it is also because that thing is located on a particular like location on the deck oh. and that might be miles away from where you want to be so it's easier sure. just like quick load back in but the problem is natalie and i both are like really tremendous at forgetting the save at all <laughs> and so we will just play for and this is what happened the other day like we played for an hour easily sort of amiably chatting playing some games shooting the shit and then natalie died at a pretty routine encounter and we oh no reloaded the old save mm-hmm. before we could realize that that old save was like 90 minutes in the past. <laughs> yeah it was pretty that was a that was a pretty hard gut punch uh so i the other issue is I think because we're playing through Parsec and Natalie's playing through Parsec a lot, we are going through firearms ammo like way more aggressively than I would otherwise prefer uh, because the timing with melee can be kind of dodgy to begin with. I don't think this mm-hmm. game has a great feeling of you are standing close enough to this person to hit him with a wrench and doesn't have a great feeling of oh, yes, I was able to interrupt their animation and hit them before they could shoot or sidestep around them. So that, that's already a bit, uh, you know, it, it feels a little bit imprecise under the best of circumstances. You add parsec delay to that, and suddenly, like, Natalie has a strong preference for just, you know, uh, the, the Danny DeVito meme. Anyway, I start blasting. <laughs> and started blasting. Yeah, and, and so... Like we we sort of ended up in this place in the game with uh yeah yeah I would say there's there's maybe not as many bullets as you would like to have, and maybe there's <laughs> not not as much med stuff as as you'd like to have, <laughs> and so I just I went back and it's like maybe I'll just create a save. Uh, where Can I, I ask of, a question about your save? So yeah. um, I only watched clips of the two of you playing this, but um, I seem to remember. In System Shock, you can set different levels of difficulty for different aspects of the game as opposed to just a broad, easy, medium, hard. Uh, And the choice was to become true puzzle sluts and put the puzzle stuff on hard. Thank you for using the proper term. Yeah, I want to be respectful. Um, (laughs) And that proved to be quite a roadblock on that that first puzzle, um, which took a bit of a a time to, to get through. On your new save, what level is the puzzles at? Two, not three. 
Okay, okay, okay. I got life too short. Don't give up the puzzle slot. Do no, no, no. Don't give up the puzzle slot. Natalie and I still have our save where we're little puzzle slots. (laughs) Okay, okay. But I have a save where I can just play the game and just move through these things. It does feel a little (laughs) bit like Goldilocks' problem, where three of the puzzles are really kind of hard. Though a big part of it is just figuring out how the puzzles work. Once you do, they're they're not as bad as they first appear. But like on level two, I'm like these puzzles ain't shit. Like literally, <laughs> you're just like boop 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 done puzzle puzzle solved. Uh, the the puzzle other thing, slutted. yeah, <laughs> great puzzle slutted. Uh, the that was fun. No, Rob, that was good. <laughs> yeah, hell the, yeah. The thing that worries me a little bit is the save management in this game sucks. It's worse than the originals. Mm. Your save game names get random four digit numbers assigned to them. You can't name them. You can't be like Nat and Rob research. Can't do that. It'll be like save 9228. I hope you remember where save 9228 was. <laughs> and then it's extremely easy to just like click once and save over them. So I'm kind of terrified of like playing tonight. And like, is there a chance that we immediately erase that save I created? Uh, I'm a little I'm a little concerned about it. Wait, how do you even make a save in in the remake? Do you just you open? Escape, you go to save game, but then okay. you don't have a. You go to create new save, but what you don't have is like the, any the, option to rename it. As far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah. I I just I've just always been hitting at five, so I, like I didn't even realize. Yeah, it was like you a don't way need to share. Hard save. You don't need to share. Right, of course. Yeah. But so there's only one autosave slot, so like you had you got you had to make sure to not <laughs> be now, leaning now, on that too hard. My plan, I'm hoping we have enough time for this before the before tonight's stream. Uh-huh. Is to get my save up to where we were. And then oh. Natalie doesn't need to know about this part. Wow. Natalie then, doesn't need to know why the inventory. But then you would be killing the puzzle slots. Sometimes can you change the difficulty in the options? It's a good can question. Can I de- change mid game? I don't know. I can check that out. But I think the big, but the big upshot of this is suddenly it's like, hey, pal. Wow, wild. We forgot that we were sitting on three hundred rounds of pistol ammunition and like oh seventy five rounds of shotgun ammunition. And That's crazy. Fuck. You forgot that. Yeah. It's, <laughs> wow. What a what a blessing. Uh, Rob, I guess we need to play. That? Yeah. And then we can just like go blasting. Unfortunately, um, to, to quote from the developers, you aren't able to change your difficulty after starting a new game. This is because all the items and enemies on Citadel Station are generated when you click new game and then become static and permanent. This is the thing. Okay. So people have not told oh. me what the deal is, but there is people? an overall like. Enemies spawn in throughout this game. Mm-hmm. You go back to old places, there are new enemies. Mm-hmm. That is not like a magic wand waving and like, here's new enemies. There's a system underlying the creation and release of new enemies into yeah. the world of System Shock. Yeah. Okay. There are ways you can stop new enemies spawning in. Mm-hmm. We found one of them on mm-hmm. our deck where there was this one particular type of enemy that was suddenly showing up everywhere. It's this like little laser turret. Yeah. And then we found a robotics laboratory that was churning them out. Once you hit the switch to stop production on that, that's fine. They stop popping. Yeah, that's cool. That's the question is what's doing that for all the other enemies. And we don't know yet. And like some folks were saying, like we're going to tell you in chat, because chat's really good about observing spoilers, but like there is a way to stop new enemies coming into the game. 
my guess is that way is not even open to us for quite some time, but I'm super curious what it is. Um, I did. I, I do think I caught it. The system at work once I was. Um, I was I was back on the the first deck, the medical deck, and I had this level cleared for a little bit and I was coming. I was I was making a run back to. There's this recycling machine that like you feed money into. it's like Coinstar. Uh, slash yeah. recycling yeah. like this game encourages you yeah. to basically like fill your virtual shopping cart with like uh glass and cans and like bring it to the counter and be like give me 10 cents for for all this well, i love disco elysium that's that's this is basically <laughs> what you're i'm i was shuttling stuff back but I, I i came out of the recycling area and i saw like a squad of zombies coming up through this hole in the floor um, not like one of those elevators that releases the enemies, but like there was this room that I couldn't shut, couldn't seal off. Mm-hmm. And they were all just like being released on mass. Uh, and so like it was a moment where I was like, oh, this little alcove is somehow connected to where like the zombies are coming from in the game. And I just like caught the mid release. That's cool, though. That's really sick is the thing. That's really sick is the is the thing. Damn, I'm excited for this one-on-one. Yeah, this is, and th- this is the thing. Like, the the remake is a really good adaptation of System Shock. It feels a lot like the original System Shock. A lot of the weird friction of it does kind of go away because you're not using sort of the interface stuff that Looking Glass came up with at a time where there weren't many games like this. But I'll say this too, when you go back and play the original, because of Night, Day, Night Dive's previous work making the original like more playable, a lot of that friction went away to begin with. You can already play it with like traditional control schemes and it feels pretty natural. So, But it's so funny to drag the little uh, rag doll at the top to lean what, around the corner. What Kato is alluding to is there is a little <laughs> nine quadrant, uh, nine square um, trace outline in the interface in the original System Shock and a little like silhouette of your character. And so to execute a lean while standing, you drag your character from like the center top box <laughs> yeah. to the center top left box and your character tilts out. If you want to drop no. into a crouch, you can drop no. them down a box and they drop into a crouch while leaning. Yes. And no. then and then you can drop them all the way to the bottom row and they Get slither the along the ground like a snake. <laughs> very fast. It's they are not army so... crawling. They are very fast. No. Slithering. Oh, Slithering. So funny. <laughs> Are games uh, of that era rendering a character model? Can we? Can you detach yourself? What is? What does the character look like? I, what is being God. seen? So I don't think so because you couldn't look at your feet in the original. Yeah, right. I suspect right, you were right, a floating right, right. POV. Yeah, which might be one reason they don't. The new game, you can look at your feet. So maybe they don't want to. You know, oh, this, this is a game where like you're a hacker and, and you crouch. got feet. Creating <laughs> control to crouch is, is pretty much the ball game, but. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a really cool remake. It's a it's a good way to play the the original game. It does feel different. Um, they're different experiences, and this is the weird. I don't know. I guess in some ways it's like sort of like where we came down with Dead Space. It doesn't supplant the original. Like it's a much more frictionless way to play the original. But the original has a vibe that's different and very much mm. its own. And this feels uh. like authentic to it, but. If you want to play the original, you will not feel like you're playing a redundant version. You will feel like you're playing a distinct work. So 
no offense meant to System Shock, but System Shock more historical artifact. The ball game is System Shock 2. Coming out of this, do you feel confident that the game that I think has a much higher chance, a much higher bar to hit, more work would have to probably be done in terms of like interface? Yeah, there's just and it's just a, a bigger game, more ambitious game in a lot of different ways. Not taking anything away from the historical value of System Shock and what it was accomplishing at the time as a first person game. But do you think they could do System Shock 2 and would you want them to? Yeah, I think it like I think they could, and I think it would be cool uh, the direction they've gone. I think the problem, the thing that's hard to recapture about System Shock Two, I think I wrote about this over on over on the Vice site, was it falls into that era of 3D graphics where and Looking Glass's tech was kind of old even by its contemporaries. The, their characters and especially their like animation rigging was really fucked up and weird looking. But it made that game so distinctive and really unsettling in a way that I think is really hard to reproduce because so much of it is, it is an art. So much of it is an artifact of the tech that Looking Glass was using as like, you know, the, the time ran out for the studio. But Patrick, I do want to push back on this one thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. The weird thing about System Shock to System Shock 2 and then to Bioshock is it's still a pretty linear progression of the game actually getting simpler, level layouts getting simpler, systems mm-hmm. getting simpler. And so the funny thing is System Shock 2 has this huge influence on all horror games of its era. Like Doom 3 comes out and it's basically like, wow, System Shock 2 was a hell of a thing, right? And Doom 3 is trying to do that while also being a Doom and kind of it's cool. I like it, but it's it's definitely trying to ride two horses. But you go back to System Shock 1, I think it's the harder game to adapt because it it works so differently than a lot of your like horror shooters and and, and survival horror games that have come come out since. And so it, it's kind of an odd thing where I think in some ways this was probably the, the harder trick to adapt because System Shock 1 is really alien to the direction a lot of games went. Where System Shock 2, I think in some ways it's a very like familiar type of game. And so the question becomes like pulling that trick, the dead space pole, right? Adapting it where it feels true to itself, but also can hold its own with a, uh, with a field that has changed and advanced in terms of presentation sense. Uh, so, and they, and they are doing the same groundwork that they did with, with this system shock where I believe they just recently announced the system shock Two remastered where they, are going to, you know, bring bring that game up to speed. I don't know how that, you know, I know like very famously the System Shock, sh- System Shock 2 community, like the last time I touched that, like there were certain mods you're supposed to download. They're like made it more pro- like yada yada. And so hopefully that stuff will get streamlined, built into the game. But by all accounts, this has been well received. Yeah. And I think it's awesome that they're going to, rather than just saying, well, now let's remake System Shock 2, which they may be doing, mm-hmm. is making sure following a, like that original game will still be honored and it'll exist, run a good, run on your modern machines, it'll be right there. And then also we're going to see what we can do by like actually doing the more ambitious yeah. uh, re-examination of it, which is which is a really cool step for them to take. Well, and also I guess it, here's one major difference too. Um, there's a strong argument made the System Shock 2 doesn't have a real ending. Like that game famously hmm. has a, uh-oh, we got a release and okay. it just terminates like very huh, fast huh. and ends on a really kind of weird out of context cutscene that does fit with other stuff in the game. But like it's 
as abrupt as people talk about the ending to the original Bioshock and as like shaky as people find that last level, that is by all accounts like a really refined version of what amounts to System Shock 2 almost like just running out of the road and mm. having to get out the door. So like System Shock 2 is one of those like sort of the the major turning point in System Shock 2 is when you leave the uh when you leave the Von Braun spaceship where you've been most of the game, you board the military escort ship, the Rickenbacker. It sort of marks the moment where, you know, it's the drawing of the horse, right? And you have left the like beautifully shaded in textured depiction of the horse. And you are now in the derpy stick figure uh, section of System Shock 2. So that's probably the big opportunity for a System Shock 2 remake is a chance to actually like create a unified like end-to-end vision for the game uh so that's that's probably where the big opportunity exists but uh yeah so we'll, we'll be well we'll lots to more lots more to say about system shock uh, again like fingers crossed we'll be talking about it next week uh so so stick around for that uh but in the meantime you know we should we should take a little dip into the question bucket you can send us your questions at questions at remapradio.com. Uh, our first one here comes from Eric, and it might be a bit more of a Kato question, but I think we'll all have some opinions on it. <laughs> Dear Remap, I run a tiny monthly podcast with my wiki friends. i uh, been, been doing it for a while. Have no ambitions about it being a job or even a success. It's all for fun. I do the producing, and I typically leave it as is, just going through to clean up some noises and pauses. Is that best practices, though, or do you think it's better to go through more heavily to remove bits of dead air and cut around moments of rambling or talking over each other? You guys always sound great and professional. How much is is that done in post? Keep on mapping and remapping. Thanks, Eric from New Jersey. Uh, I don't generally cut for time here. You know, like there are like maybe a long, a, an extra long pause of dead air, but. We don't we don't tend to have too many of those, honestly. Yeah, I don't. It's I've just never, like I've never had weird pauses before speaking on this. And show. like, what what what? <laughs> well, what um, what amounts to an actually long pause is like you're gonna you're gonna get a million different answers from different people, but like, I don't know. If it sounds natural, I think it's usually fine. That's that's I've, generally uh, been my my sort of thing. Never long paused. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Also, sometimes a long pause is you uh, forget a point that you're trying to make or you're looking something up and it eludes you. And so sometimes you begin to make a point. It turns into a long pause. Like sometimes when I'm yeah. Googling something, it's like, OK, well, I'm going to keep talking and extending this point until I find this. And then sometimes you have to just stop the podcast to go. Can I? Okay. Hold on. Pause. <laughs> Looking at this. Give up. me ten seconds to scroll to this yeah. instead of me just sounding uh, goofy. And then, uh, like, so, well, sometimes what will happen is that you won't notice it, you know, as the listener. But like, Kata will seamlessly smash those two pieces together, yeah. so it sounds as though I just picked up. Uh, and hey, this is unrelated to this. What specifically unrelated to this, but is in the same ballpark. Just hats off, Kato, between my acting. And your editing. Yeah, yeah. People said that Thirsty Suiters interview was like seamless. Yeah. You, if you, we actually could have gotten away with just telling people. Yeah, not saying anything. Not saying shit. And it was uh-huh. the wildest thing because the way I did it was just I had the file playing. Yeah. 
and then would wait for me to say something in the, I had it at like cranked up full volume so I could hear me bleeding in right. to the other microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would hear me go like, ha ha, oh, okay. And I'd be like, <laughs> record, ha ha, oh, okay. So I could try and <laughs> yeah. capture as much of yep. the tone. Because um, I knew that in addition to the questions, some of that, you know, what you'll get is like someone says something and you go, you don't do a real back and forth, but it's like, uh, oh, okay. Like, yeah. oh, and that, and I was trying to get as many of those you in there as job. well. You did a good job. Uh, those, thank you. Most of them. Uh, I pre- and uh, I appreciate it, uh, and and you did a did a. a, a I'm glad we just closed you. it. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, but uh, I'm also glad that the that's the extreme other end, right? right? Like when you're asking <laughs> is actually manufacturing <laughs> uh, a interview because we lost part of the, reconstructing. The raw audio. You know, we're we're like that lady who repainted that one image of Christ, but ours came out good and not like a monkey. Yeah, <laughs> a remastering, a remastering. A remaster. there it's you like go. going back to the audio and cleaning it up yeah. to get it more pristine. I I will also say like I think there's a couple things. One is we've all been doing this for for a minute and so probably we are a bit more polished than folks who are just doing it for fun right. occasionally so there might be a different threshold that we like our floor might be higher and if it rewards you as a producer to like cut that cut around that stuff and and clean it up a bit like i think it's if, if it's fun if it's creatively fulfilling for this right. project i would say go with god because i think a lot of folks i like when i l- go back and i listen to a show and it feels just a little tighter, a little better, a little more graceful. Like everyone loves going back and listening to a conversation they had with their friends, except they all sound like the more articulate, quicker on their feet versions of themselves. Like nobody's going to complain about that. And so I think, you know, if it if it is creatively interesting to you, I think it's a really good practice. And obviously it's one of those things that will get better with time. Uh, but I would also say, like, do what Kato has done at times, which is also call out like – Hey, I'm having to like address this one kind of thing pretty frequently. So it might be something to be mindful of and like help steer, steer people towards here are things we are routinely fixing in post, but actually with a, like just a little more mindfulness, it's something that we can uh, get, get out ahead of during, during the recording. But yeah, like uh, I, sorry, kind of go ahead. I was just going to say that that is a, that is kind of a big thing about any sort of uh, like, Product like production work that I've ever done of like even like when I was like making making art like doing film where there's a process like the most that you can capture like the better you can capture the original thing like the better the end product is gonna be and obviously you can always ed- do it in post but the reason that's kind of like uh like backhanded like phrase these uh, is that you shouldn't have to and it will almost always be slightly less 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 as less as uh, seamless as if you had done it right the first time. So like, yeah, practice is going to be the best thing to, to like shift things and like, just be willing to have that conversation. Not like in like a, you know, it can just be like a, like it's, it's, You're it's, make it's people hard. Feel so, super self-conscious. Right. About this it. is you the thing. Be like, yeah. yeah, here's the thing. I'm, here's the thing I'm getting, I'm cleaning up a couple times during the show. I'm not sure you're aware of it. Uh, a big one, for instance, is like you bang your elbow on the desk too much and it is causing <laughs> problems. That is, that is a thing to to call out. Uh, and some first- of those things are even like thinking of where you can find um, uh, like small equipment changes that will work around the things that are people's habits even. Right. Like there are things that you can like find online 
that, like shock mounts and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, now, like, I don't have to worry if you're banging your elbow because it's not going to come through. It's okay. It like, really you- <laughs> messed me up how different, how much a difference the shock mount made versus like yeah. having a, a really nice microphone stand, but it's just a different, it's a, it's a different. The vi- those vibrations uh, carry yeah. hard when everything is stiff. Like it's going to, it's yeah. going to vibrate all the way through that arm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think this might be our first was email of the Whoa. of the remap question bucket. And this one remap feels was. laser targeted to Patrick. Hello, the remapped. By the time you get this email, it will have been too late. This weekend, I'm hosting a dinosaur themed board game party to play dinosaur world. And to go <laughs> along with it, I made dinosaur shaped nice. cookies and made amber colored ice for the drinks. Nice. However, I don't have a mixed drink recipe for a Jurassic Park or a dinosaur, for that matter, themed drinks menu. If you had to make such a themed drink, what would it be? Regards, Waz. Uh, you know, the fucking the ones from Jurassic Park with the frills that spit out acid. Mm-hmm. The acid. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> just uh, as a shot obviously it would be a shot of something dilophosaurus is that the, d- 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 is, the Kato, is that a jello d- shot because of the viscous quality Ooh, of that thing sp- it like could be acid spit it could be yeah like a purple jello shot that will just like <laughs> fuck you up yes oh uh, i love that i love that ren you you uh have immediate yeah. you had an immediate reaction yeah, I believe in using every part of the animal, and so my shot will involve. So my drink will involve uh, crude oil. <laughs> God damn it! Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just. Uh, let me think. It's. Uh, yeah, I think just. Um, hmm. Yeah, absolute and crude oil. <laughs> yeah. Little- Need a shot of West Texas Intermediate and uh, a little dollop of, oh, God, what is it? Is it Oklahoma Sweet? I, I can't remember. I, I've, I've lost. I, I don't remember all my, my oil grades uh, like I used to. <laughs> Patrick, uh, now well, you. Well, for, for me, I, I would have to say, I you know, I could come up with my own. I could try and look up for some inspiration. But why? Why? If it's if a classic is already out there, mm. if the drink already exists, mm. if you've already got the connoisseurs at AMC coming up with options for you, <laughs> like why not just pour yourself a T Rex, a twenty four ounce delectable drink Ooh. made with some Tito's vodka? Um, I don't know what else is in there. I'm a, maybe it's I'm just guessing this is a Long tea. Island. It's right. got to be a Long Island. Um, I, was I see. Right? To find. Well, hang on. <laughs> no, Kato, though. Hang on. It has to be a throttle back Long Island because no way AMC is taking on the liability of serving like proper Long Island iced teas at a at a family theater. Wait, wait. How bad is? Sorry, sorry. Do I not know? How bad's a Long Island iced tea? Ren, you should Google this because I can't. Like, it is, it is a cocktail tea. made of a ton of hard liquors. Uh, yeah. It is sort of a, it is not a well respected drink among bartenders. It's sort of up no. there with the, the Harvey back. Wallbanger and such. But it's like it is the it is like a very frat boy drink. Is is its rap? Sorry, it's, sorry, yeah, sorry. yeah. Uh-huh. sorry. There's there's sorry. technically Coke what? in there, but it's cola to top it is not part of the breakdown of one part vodka it's one kind part of rum, to render it one drinkable. part tequila one yeah. part gin one part triple sec one part simple syrup one part lemon juice that's how i feel after i have one of those yep uh 
Or you could have a Titosaurus, also from the fine folks at AMC, where they make thirst extinct. Oh my god. Now I don't know what's in the Titosaurus, um, but it is Bro, green. It's it looks like Emerson Joe Tito's. about these guys. Um, I uh I never heard a follow-up on this, and I have always wanted to uh, I I can't get to the movie theater enough to drink to have an actual babysitter night where I would review all of these drinks. Mm-hmm. But hey, we're we're thinking about the future of Remap, introducing new content. Patrick, I'm coming out this this fall or or winter. Just staying for six months, and we're just going to go see all the get to all the AMC <laughs> drinks. I'm gonna, I'm just saying, I you know a good bit would be just committing to doing reviews of, all, of the, like, yeah. hey, uh, sir, where's your ticket? Oh, I don't need one. I'm just saddling up here at the bar so that I can have whatever is out for Marvel's the Marvels uh, this November, uh, and I can I can I can just take it. What are they gonna do? In. What are they gonna do for Transformers? Isn't that soon? Uh, that already came out. Okay. Uh, I don't know. So I did have for a little while an insider oh. giving me the drinks ahead of time. Oh. Um, if you if you are wow. a Remap Radio listener, I would love I would like to reestablish our connection. It just it just I, I don't know if AMC caught on. We're reading the DMs, you know, like figured it out. I once but if you, I once realized I had, there was a moment where a coworker and I realized management was reading our DMs to each other. Like there was a moment <laughs> in, at an office I worked at where there was something alluded to that there was no way our office manager could have known because like that was when we realized how like it was a fa- it was a family company and the mm-hmm. and the CEO's sorry the CEO's wife was like running my entire department and it was a make work job so she felt like she had something to do with this company and so she used every single one of those panopticon ass tools to just like monitor what people were doing and like screen watch their activities and there was a moment where we realized like how pervasive it was uh, yeah, so kind of, I don't think they did a Transformers one because mm. we actually like this summer is the first time like actually a ton of movies are coming out right. like every week. And so I believe this overlapped. You're familiar with this. We talked about this before. Yes. The Guardians of the Galaxy, right. oh, awesome God. mix volume three, uh, peanut butter, um, whiskey, it's called <laughs> screwball drink Fuck. with some kind of like sugary marshmallows on top. I have been told reliably, um, that this was actually surprisingly good and i can echo oh that God. by saying that actually if you've never had screwball like the peanut butter whiskey uh-huh. it is surprisingly delicious okay it's just like a little tiny little shot to sip on as a curiosity it's always on sale you can get it for like ten dollars i i 100 always have one in my house because people then ask like i wonder what that tastes like i'm like you'll be shocked at how not awful <laughs> it is and actually it's kind of it's it's like a fun little it's like you know, summer drink. For me, it's absolutely just this. Uh, like the drink seems fine. Peanut butter, oh, I can see it. And then mm-hmm. I look at it, and like aesthetically, visually, it hits me. It, it. I know it's not cereal, but it looks like cereal. Mm-hmm. And I just imagine mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. bits of crispy cereal getting sog in a weird alcoholic drink, and I like it. Just turns you off the whole thing. <laughs> it's also a lot. So when I when I tell you that twenty four ounces, that's the thing. So <laughs> sorry, what? Oh shit! It, yes, it's, I'm sorry. Is that it's a big deck? boy there for scale? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might be. Um, 
That I think, Rob, you're actually taking this drink and putting it in between your legs. Like that's the only way to keep it sturdy. Um, oh my god! Uh, they're big. They're big drinks, and so that's the issue. Oh. Is that big drinks for big pissers? Yeah, <laughs> that's the title. Woo! Hey, all right, next question. I got, nothing, I got nothing else to. Uh, I got nothing else to add. You know what? For big pissers, like I really like. Put in a uh, a pause in the movie, like natural I breaks agree. in movies that are two hours plus. I agree. Please bring back Let the intermission. Us bring, Let br- us piss. Bring back the intermission. <laughs> the mission. And also, listen. I'll just no. say this. I'll say this. If I go to a bar and I see on that menu a big pisser size of 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 the drink that I want, I'm thrilled. Yeah. You know. Do you like, want the big? Do you want the? Do you want the regular beer or the big beer? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah. Do I want an espresso martini? Yes, I do. Can I get a big pisser's espresso martini? <laughs> there are times where it's like, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna have like three of these, so yeah. you might as well just, <laughs> just give them to me at them once. In. And they're yeah. like, I'm legally prohibited from doing that. And I'm like, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> that's me with that is wait I, i'm sure we've talked about this on the show but i don't care what is everyone's favorite like standard like cocktail why oh, this conversation oh the uh, uh, yeah what what the did, did you cough okay <laughs> the, the, you gotta you gotta give us more than that rob, <laughs> rob just casually dropping uh something that requires like a fancy pronunciation and then just assuming we're all gonna know is that, that just drink. the traditional so name this, of the is a, this is a classic it is a Rye, cognac, vermouth cocktail, uh, mm. dash of pachades, a uh, dash of Angostura bitters, and then a little bit of Benedictine. And it is it's, it's a classic cocktail. And for my money, it is like routinely one of the best. Uh, what, so I what? like it's 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 spelled like view, but like Frenchify it <laughs> V.I.E.U.X. Uh Carre, C A R R E with an E with an accent. What part of the monk do they use? <laughs> no, kind of. They it's like it's like the it's like the crude oil drink. They use all of the monk. Okay. When, when a Benedictine brother is is too old uh, to continue uh, saying his prayers at vespers, they mash him up. Yeah. And oh, stick him in a. Oh god. <laughs> stick him in a still. Oh. And uh, yeah, the result is the result is Benedictine. But yeah, so that, that's that's me. That's 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 like my go to uh, if I'm at a place where it's like I don't have to make the shit myself. Please hook me up with the. Also, it's a really good litmus test drink to see what kind of bar you're at because mm. it's like one cut above your standards, but it isn't like super fancy. So it like will sort of let you dial in what is good to order a place like this and what is not. We saw this happen in reverse at um. God, what was the Patrick, the place we go with Jason and Emmanuel? Uh, Bernie's. Bernie's. <laughs> what the fuck was the drink I ordered where they were sent away from the bar for ordering it and given like a like a easier drink? <laughs> That's incredible. Okay, what, what, that should happen to more just people. Just, whatever yeah. drink you just described, you did something like that. And Emmanuel Trooper went in, delivered Best. the request, and, and was they told got by the bartender, instead. yeah, it was like, no, I'm not going to make that. <laughs> And it was, and my heart warmed because it was just not that kind of place. I, but at least they look. What would you have rather? They made a shitty version of it, or just tell you like, look, that's just no, no, no. I think no. they handled that perfectly because yes. like they yes. have the ingredients for it, but it's just not the sort yeah. of place where they're going to stop yeah. service and like make that drink. They're like, do you want to spend five minutes doing that for you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I think that my favorite has to be 
a classic espresso martini. I fucking love. I love a little coffee drink. I love a little coffee drink, even oh even in alcoholic form. They're so good. Rent, what so if, if if you're ever up here in Boston, mm-hmm. I think I think they still serve this uh, back bar in Somerville. One of the best, probably the best cocktail bar in the city still uh, makes this thing called the coffee flip. And the wild thing about this is there is no coffee liqueur in it at all, but it tastes like a coffee cocktail. That's sick as fuck. And a friend of mine spent like a year trying to reverse engineer it and eventually did. And it is a combination of rums and of, of rums. And I think like, elderflower uh, liqueur that like you, you mm. and it's, it's a flip so it's got like an egg in it or egg white and you mix all those together and like foam it through the through the shaking and the way it marries up is more perfect coffee flavor than you get with a like coffee liqueur or like a, a coffee infused oh uh, whiskey it's, it's nuts I gotta have that what if what if that but more alcoholic and also there's cream Are we talking about the, what were we talking about, Kato? A classic, just a, the, a white Randy Russian. Randy Alexander or? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> a white Russian. Coffee in, instead of coffee. Uh, I mean, it's coffee liqueur based, but, you know, more more alcohol by adding vodka to it. And, so, okay. And then so, getting some cream in there. It's I'll delicious. tell you what put me off that was. Well, I Nobody think cared. you and I are close enough on ge- generationally that I had a friend group that mm. had a big Lebowski phase. That yeah. was like all life's questions could be answered in the Big Lebowski. And that meant there were some white Russian parties that happened. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and that's probably and that is why the white Russian and I are not good friends uh, anymore, because yeah. like that is a sometimes drink, not a mainstay drink for the entire night, despite it's, what that movie implies. Yeah. It's, and also, like, you don't want that cream coming up to room temperature and you're continuing you to mix really like don't. white Russians with like room temperature uh vodka and cream oh you mean like you left that shit out on like a bar that it has to go back into a fridge i know man but they were college <laughs> they were college assholes gross gross, gross. no gross, i gross, 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 it's gross. it's it's the first thing i'll ask for because i feel like at this point 90 percent of the time they just don't have cream so like I don't get to have it actually that often <laughs> but Kato, if they do have it it's like a little treat come and then on the up next- i've got my my local dairy farm delivers fresh cream weekly. Hell yeah. No, I mean, I can make God. myself a white Russian. I have the ingredients to make myself white Russians at home. It's, it's super easy. But, like, I always ask for that first. But then, if they don't have that and I notice that they have Pims, I like a Pims cup. Pims cup's nice. Mm. It's it's always fresh and delicious. Pims. Huh. Pims cup. <laughs> Patrick, which beverage of the common man is your go-to drink at a at a bar old-fashioned old-fashioned well that's a classic delicious because ultimately like i mean I, I like beers a lot but like there are many times where a beer is just what i'm drinking till it can be late enough that i can have like a bourbon i got an old-fashioned and an old-fashioned feels like I can get a little ahead of that because there's, you know, now, you are big you, chunks of ices like in it and I'm drinking it old slower. Old fashioned is one of those drinks that can be like executed to wildly varying levels. Like there's a place. That's mm-hmm. what I love about it. That's 100% what I like about it. I, I, I'm i sure if I sat and thought of like not thought about it, I, I, I couldn't give you a direct answer. I would say part of the reason I like 
the old fashioned is that every time I order it, there's a baseline that I'm, I, I know what to expect in terms of like functionally, like how it's constructed, but the specific ingredients are, can, can, uh, very widely, especially in terms of like, what is the base? Like what, what, what exactly are you putting in there? Do you want a specific, you know, type of, uh, uh, alcohol in there? And it's like, I will often say de- just dealer's choice. No, like, how do you make yeah. it? If you were making an old fashioned for yourself, make that one for me. That gets me to try something different or it'll taste a little, have a different kind of variety for it. So that's part of the reason I like it because, it is is roughly the same drink every time, but like just a slight, like a slightly different based on like preference and construction by the the bartender. I will say this: Ian Bogus has written many essential pieces of criticism and many great <laughs> essays, but his top ten ways bartenders screw up my old fashions is one, like probably my most my most referred to oh, article wow. of his because it wow. is a really good like it is a really good list of like. These are the general ways that old fashions do tend to go wrong at like bars, especially divier ones. But I think the thing that does leap out is when they do mash the shit out of the fruit rather than just like lightly bruising it uh, to release the flavor. That is an old fashioned where it looks like everything just got like run through a blender uh, is usually a okay. We're just, you know what? We're ordering off the tap uh, at so, this at this place. Sorry. Can I just read number 10 off for yeah. you? Number 10, top 10 ways bartenders screw up my old fashions. Garnish. This is not a girly drink. I do not want a garnish with an orange peel and a cherry attached. A plain swizzle stick is fine. Wow. I want the what? garnish. I like the, I wow. like the garnish. Wow. A girly drink? Yeah, I love I love Ian Bogos performing <laughs> 2010 misogyny no scout. I was going to say, there's a little bit of when was this written. Yeah, no, exactly. Which, yeah. That's, why I, that's why I said, I want to be clear. 2010 misogyny no scope. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's see. There's a quick. Sorry, I clicked through the tabs. Kyle, cut this part out. <laughs> that is no, a. I don't, think, I don't think you should because that, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a long that's, that's pause. Just, that's just exactly because yeah, the questions because that happened earlier. You have to leave it in there, Rob. And now I'm just buying you time. Yeah. By talking uh, and being quick, a good look at that image I put host. in the chat. Pick one of the cocktails that has a funny video game name. Which one would you like the best? Ah, uh, um, the old fashioned. Oh no, no, no. Oh, oh cocktail co- above above the classics. Um, okay, I don't want to look at the ingredients. Um, yeah, which one are you trying? I want oh my God. the Dream Eater. That, yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> uh, I love that one. Sands of Time. Nice. Oh, that's with good. time like with the, like the, like the, like uh-huh, the, uh-huh. like the time. So, yeah, there's wait, time. Are we, are we talking about these cocktails? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay we're just, okay. we're buying time for, for, I got it. Having a little bit of, okay. <laughs> little correction, uh, on an episode from a couple weeks ago, Bryce writes in hello cartographers. I felt compelled to correct mm. Adam Conover's well-intentioned accounting of the Glacier Northwest concrete worker strike and subsequent Supreme court decision. As I am a frontline utility worker and these issues are increasingly Fuck more important. Yeah. Adam stated that the workers shut the trucks off and walked away so as to leave the concrete to harden inside, destroying the vehicles. This is about a lawsuit where concrete workers walked off and allegedly uh, like the concrete inside the trucks was destroyed. Bryce continues. The union, however, states that the trucks were left running when the strike was called. It is undisputed that the remaining workers and management were able to unload the concrete from the trucks and none were destroyed. The company has been cleared by the Supreme Court to sue over the loss of product alone, which is easy to see as far as a far more chilling ruling. 
Mm. Thank you for your coverage of labor and solidarity forever. Solidarity forever to all workers. Bryce. Uh, and then final email. Our friend Joseph Cox wrote in uh, our, our ex colleague over at Vice and sent oh, this tweet hi, Joseph. and asked a very important question. A, a David Cage asked question. Would Patrick fight for his big skeleton? And what this is about is a woman in Ohio. And a few people wrote in about this. Uh, Thank you. uh, Yeah. Thank you to Nicholas as well, who wrote in uh, with an article about this. A woman in Ohio put a giant werewolf statue in her yard. Mm -hmm. And then the town sent in a declared it a blight. And told her to take down her <laughs> seasonal decoration. Fucking cowards. This is this is one of the other Home Depot sells a uh, two variations of the skeleton. One uh, pumpkin skeleton, one of the, the normal uh, OG uh, Home Depot skeleton, and then some other varieties. There's a witch, I believe, and yes, this werewolf. Um, so they didn't this have werewolf an HOA. Looks fucking cool. Yeah. yeah, he's sick as fuck. He is. So this is not an H. Yeah, okay. They, it's not an HOA. Yeah, the thread it's here. The town. It is just the town. So th- this is wow. Uh, this happens way more often than you think. Um, in the Facebook groups that I'm mostly a part of to get inspiration for costume ideas or links to places that will have stuff that's suitably sized for Jackson Bones, uh, is a lot of people sharing stuff like this. Where what are different petty ways? People will go to local governments in order to try and get that fucking skeleton off the lawn in April. Uh, my skeleton has actually been in the backyard laying on its on its back wow. uh, for I ran out of holidays. Jackson I, bones I, I, down. Um, so you just like left once him you there? get past. Yeah, he needed some back. Rep- I had to I had to fix his arm and some. OK, so okay. I, it was a it was a repair issue that I needed to do a moment of in, rest. For Jackson Bones, <laughs> you know, when it, t- it was timed with like post mart after Easter, he's kind of just a skeleton out there in the middle of middle of April, yeah. and uh, I don't have a problem with that. But I also was like, part of the fun for me is okay, what what am I gonna buy and put him up in? Yeah, and then yeah. by the time I put him down, I did miss like I guess like I could have done a Pride Month one and really see oh, if I could irritate yeah. some members of the community. Yeah, I don't know if on. I was willing to go that far. <laughs> I have a sense of some of my neighbors and it's like, oh, I don't no. know if I need oh, no. that, <laughs> but that was, I, I have seen people, uh, doing pride, pride month, uh, uh, Home Depot skeletons, uh, yeah. which I, I admire and, uh, the delight in seeing, um, so couldn't how did you just have done, couldn't you have just done a, uh, NBA finals, like put them in a Bulls jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could have. I could have. But I can only spend so much because, like, yeah, anything yeah. that you're buying of decent quality that is going to be the size, like, right. you're spending close to 100 bucks for like each prop. <laughs> oh and so my thought on the skeleton has been like, I allow myself like a budget. And then once I hit that, it's like, there's always next year. Like I've already got the Easter stuff. Don't need to do that next year. No, I already got Christmas stuff. Don't need that next year. And so next yeah. year, maybe I can, I can do exactly what you're saying <laughs> is that, uh, get him a hockey stick for the, yeah. uh, I'm, we're big into wondering if the Las Vegas, uh, shit, golden their team is called the golden Knights. We're big golden Knights fans here, uh, over in, 
over in this house. Now, so was it a happy I, ending? I will oh, a happy note, ending to this. Yes. I just yeah. have a quick question for yeah. our resident Ohioan. Yes. <laughs> Hello. Ren. Hello. It Hello. says, please Hello. take down seasonal wolf decoration. Thanks. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't every season horror season in Ohio? Yeah, no, it's all evil. <laughs> it's all bad. No, it it's all evil. It never stops it all the being time. evil. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's always evil. <laughs> if you walk outside your home in, o- in Ohio, it's probably evil. <laughs> the werewolf fits right in. I don't know what they're the talking about. The werewolf fits right in. They're being freaks. <laughs> there is a happy ending to this. So uh, the the end of this thread notes from uh, in a news article uh, from Dayton 24-7. Yes. Uh, that the, the the person with the werewolf in the front of their house was given a warning, um, but the town has no plans to further enforce the declarations removal, the decorations removal. Uh, and Simmons, I guess that's the the woman who put it up, uh, said she won't take it down unless it becomes a safety hazard. Hell yeah, queen! <laughs> Hell yeah! Home Depot, <laughs> get in touch with this lady. <laughs> Hook her up with more shit to put on her lawn, like. Yeah, you should. This woman's a queen. Give her more creatures. And who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Remap will uh, have more to report on Kato? Home Depot itself Kato? sometime in the future. Yeah. How long do you think it would take for my landlord to get a skeleton off the roof? Has your landlord ever come? No. To your... It the the congrats the skeleton will be there forever. <laughs> oh my god! I would can you? I love the idea of just like having a little skeleton sitting on an NYC rooftop. You look up and you see Leave oh wow. a grim tableau. Is it, yeah, he's just like sitting. I like the idea of a skeleton just sitting there. You yeah. have to tie him down real good, but like yeah, I think that safe. it would be great to just have a skeleton sitting on top of your building. That's really Hell funny. Yeah. That's yeah, if really have, if fun. you have roof access, that seems I great. Do, I do have. Let me just do some quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as Deep we up. as we contemplate various ways that we can all deploy uh, our skeletons or monsters of choice in our lives, uh, that will conclude another episode of Remap Radio. Our theme is "Moments Pause" by Two Mellow. You can check out their work on twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can follow everything we do at Remap Radio on Twitch, Blue Sky, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms. Once again, we rely on our audience for support, and you can sign up to become a backer by going to RemapRadio.com and following the links and instructions you see there. The basic plan provides access to an ad-free version of this podcast and all the projects we carried over from Waypoint Plus, including 101, Manhunting, and the Sports Podcast. The foundation plan, as I've said before, is still a work in progress. It's where we are trying out new ideas and just discussing a lot of the stuff we are really interested in. Uh, this week on the, uh, the the basic feed, we had another episode of My Turn covering Tony Gilroy's spinoff Bourne movie, The Bourne Legacy, and we had a surprising amount to say about a movie whose predecessors only half of us had actually seen. Next week, we're planning on finally bringing you a 101 on System Shock, so keep an ear out for that. And uh, if you are looking for other ways to support us, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Your support also lets us set time aside for streaming. This week, Kato and I dived into the world of Pro Cycling Manager. Woo! And found ourselves overwhelmed by what turns out to be a pretty granular and no-nonsense sports management game. 
Natalie and I have been continuing our tour through the new System Shock, and if you are listening to this on Friday, you might still be able to catch Patrick and Kato streaming NextFest games on uh, twitch.tv slash remapradio. We'll be back next week with another episode of Remap Radio. Until then, thanks so much for choosing to spend some of your time with us. <laughs> <laughs>